everyone, and welcome to the Moe Gamer podcast. I'm Pete Davison from MoeGamer.net and RiceDigital.co.uk, and I'm joined by my good friend Chris Kasky from tkaskyarts.com. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great, Pete. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, sorry to everyone who's been waiting for a new episode of this for a while. We've uh, both been very busy, I think, so we've uh, not really had a lot of time to, to get together and talk about stuff. But we're here now. We're here now, and we've got lots of things to talk about. So, uh, today's episode, we're going to talk about a favourite subject of both of ours, which is action roguelikes, uh, or action games with roguelike elements, or roguelites, or whatever you want to call them. Um, so that's going to be our third segment for today. Um, as always, we're going to proceed that with a bit of talk of some gaming news and what we've been playing. Uh, because it's been quite a while since we've last met, the gaming news we're going to chat about today, some of it's a little bit old, some of it dates back to sort of March or so, but it's it's just stuff that's sort of cropped up in the last couple of months that we we just wanted to talk about. We just wanted to... Uh, to, to mention and discuss how we felt about it and that sort of thing and some of these stories have actually evolved a bit since we first posted them as well so there might be a few updates on there as well right okay um so we'll just start at the top then uh which is uh that the ninja gaiden sigma trilogy is coming to nintendo switch and did they announce it's coming to something else as well by this point i can't remember i've really been uh, following i it. mean you can get it on ps ps4 for sure yeah um I have the PS4 version on pre-order over at PlayAsia, um, and, the, uh-huh. and they've and they've confirmed that the PS4 version will run at 60 frames per second locked, whereas the Switch version can't guarantee stable frame rates. So, yeah. as far as you know, normally I'm not a performance guy, but for games like Ninja Gaiden, where that's essential, I'm thinking yeah. the PS4 version is probably the way to go for this. Yeah, I was going to say I, I'm I'm far from a, a frame rate snob or anything like that, but for for games like this that are very precise, say. Uh, a, a slick and consistent frame rate is uh, is very helpful uh, a lot of times. Um, yeah, so this this collection contains Ninja Gaiden Sigma, Ninja Gaiden Sigma Two, and Ninja Gaiden Three. Blurry logo, I can't read. Razor's I Edge. I think really yeah, Razor's Edge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I I this is a series I've had precisely zero contact with over the years, but I know you like it ever a lot. So. Um, yeah, I, I I will take the opportunity to check this out because it's like I say, it's 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 one of several big black spots in my knowledge that I, I should really correct at some point. Um, yeah, so what's what's different about these Sigma editions over the originals? Just for the benefit of those who who aren't familiar, such um, as me. <laughs> I mean, this, the Sigma versions are kind of controversial <laughs> sometimes um, because Itagaki didn't. Is it Itagaki? Is that the is that the Tecmo yeah. guy? I'm yeah, getting yeah. my I'm getting my Japanese gaming outdoors crossed up in my head. Yeah, Itagaki yeah. did not work on the Sigma versions, so like oh, there's okay. a lot there's a lot of like oh he like but there's like there's like some difficulty tweaks and like um kind of I don't know quality of life improvements. Um one of the things that's cool is like new moves, new weapons. Um you know, you said you're not particularly familiar with Ninja Gaiden. One of the things that's cool about it is that there's um there's a range of different weapons. Um mm-hmm. so like you start out with a normal sword, but then you get like like Vega claws and you get like a, a hammer and you get like uh, twin sickles and like every single one of them has a very unique move set and the feel of the combat is totally different and like they transform the game radically so like a, a, a new addition of a new weapon is in some of the sigma versions um, additional moves and combos for the weapons that already exist um, mm-hmm. in many cases additional playable characters so um, 
like they added I think Ayane from uh, Dead or Alive is playable yeah. in yeah. one of the versions that was added later um, Rachel um, for, who is great um, uh, Momiji who was originally introduced in the um, the DS game became mm-hmm. playable in one of the later enhanced editions I think of three so um, it's just a they're, they're just kind of what we expect these days when we talk about, like, a complete edition. But, like, that was one of the earliest versions. Really, Ninja Gaiden was one of the earliest games to start doing stuff like that. Because yeah. the original Ninja Gaiden was iterated on three times. There was Ninja Gaiden, then there was Ninja Gaiden Black, and then Sigma. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the two's Sigma version is not as fondly regarded because they edited the violence down a bit. Okay, yeah. Um... Because uh, in the original Xbox 360 version of Ninja Gaiden 2, which was really designed kind of for the for a Western audience first and foremost, it was like the violence was insane. Like limb, <laughs> like like limbs would just fly off and like spiral everywhere and like spray blood as they like pinwheeled through the air and like yeah. um and like just like horrifying like enemies are clearly in pain death animations and I think I think they cut a lot of that back in the Sigma version. Um, mm-hmm. But the gameplay is the same, and there's yeah. more con- and there's more content. So like, as much as it's not cool, it's you know, as much as it kind of sucks that some of that like stylized, almost funny like violence was cut like cut down a bit. It's it's still Ninja Gaiden, like it still plays yeah. great, and yeah. it's got more to do than the original version had. So yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I really like these games. Yeah. Yeah, I know they're very fondly regarded. I, I I was always sort of a bit a bit put off by the talk of the high difficulty of them. I think, but uh, which is why I I never got around to them. But I should uh, I should correct that at some point. I think from the sound of things, it seems that the the reason that one of the reasons they go with the Sigma versions, aside from the Sigma versions being more up to date and having more content, is that they they've just lost the code for the old ones. So um, that makes sense. Yeah, the, the the old code for Ninja Gaiden One and Two, um, they, they they haven't been able to salvage it is in their words. Um, so that means there'll be, um, yeah, any future remasters will be based on these Sigma versions, and that means no returning to Ninja Gaiden Black either uh, for those who are fans of that. So if you're particular fans of those versions, you'll need to grab the original Xbox version, I guess. All right, uh, cool. Moving on. Um, Samurai Warriors 5 has been announced, which is looking lovely, because uh, they've gone for uh, a sort of nicely stylized art style on this, haven't they? They've gone for a sort of um, inky outlines on everything, which uh, which sort of really distinguishes it from Dynasty Warriors and gives it a nice look. And uh, yeah, so... That's kind of oh, cool. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah, always up for a, a new Samurai Warriors. And um, yeah, so this is the first new one since Samurai Warriors 4, which was 2014. But they had a couple of expansions over the course of the following couple of years, didn't it? Um, yeah, the expansions were handled really strangely for Samurai Warriors 4. They were more like... they. It was more like Final Fantasy 13, right? So it was like... Yeah. There was like a Samurai 4 2. It wasn't like... It wasn't like... Like Samurai Warriors 4 2 wasn't like Samurai Warriors 4 plus content. It was like a totally different game. Yeah. <laughs> like... There like was- there was Spirit of Sanada as well, wasn't there? I think was this a completely yeah. separate thing as well. Which was, a, which was, yeah, it was a separate story and a, a different game based on the four engine, focusing on that specific clan. Like it's uh-huh. so like they did like weird stuff in that kind of the, the generation four for Samurai Warriors, and yeah. it kind of miffed me because there wasn't a way to get like 
a complete pack. Or yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> and there was never a version of the first four that was released with all the expanded content. You know, there wasn't an Extreme Legends version of the first yeah. four yeah. with everything together on... Because I didn't really care about the spin-off ones, but I would like to have... I don't know. Uh-huh. Samurai War, loving Samurai Warriors is d- difficult. <laughs> Love, loving <laughs> Muso in general as a completionist is a very, you know, because just like with Ninja Gaiden, really, when you think about it, like uh, Dynasty Warriors and Samurai Warriors were also among like the first games to introduce like expansion content culture into console gaming. Yes, with with yeah, the yeah. Extreme Legends versions. Yeah, yeah. At one point, I did count up all the Musou games that exist and there's there's over 50 of them. <laughs> oh, it's no surprise. I mean, you get almost... Ever since, like, Dynasty Warriors 4, you get almost four iterations of, like, almost every Dynasty Warriors because you get the, yeah. the vanilla, you get the Extreme Legends, then you get the, um... You usually get the... what's the, What do they call the tactical spin-off one? Oh, um... um empires. empires. You usually get yeah. an Empires version, and then sometimes, if you're lucky, you get, like, the complete edition, which is, like, the full game plus the Extreme Legends content together in one pack. Like, yeah, and that's been like that since, like, 4, I think, so... Yeah. A few of them, you've had a complete edition followed by a definitive edition as well. <laughs> that's painful. Oh, dear. But yes, yes, it is It is tough being a Muso fan sometimes, but we love it. Yeah. Right, uh, continuing on, um, the much-requested Skyward Sword HD is happening for Switch. That was announced at the Nintendo Direct a while back. Uh, so this is good. So this this will be an opportunity to play Skyward Sword, hopefully without flailing your arms around and all over the place, which is all <laughs> everyone wants, really. Um, yeah, so I've... Um, I, I've not played Skyward Sword at all. I have a copy on my shelf that I, I, I picked up at some point, but um, haven't got around to it yet. But uh, yeah, when the when the Switch version shows up, I will I will probably pick that up as well. But just because it's it's a bit more appealing to yeah. play a Zelda game with buttons rather than waggling. Yeah, uh, it's a Skyward Sword has always been a sore spot for me because specifically, like visually, I'm in love with it. Oh um, yeah, it's and lovely. It's, it's it's just so highly regarded in terms of like mm-hmm. the dungeon design and the puzzles and like. And like where it sits in Zelda lore is so important, and like, but I legitimately like played the first two hours of Skyward Sword, and was just like, nope, this isn't for me, <laughs> and and and, and, I, and I put it down, and I never played it again. Um, yeah, it, I I I put up with the waggle in Twilight Princess because it wasn't too bad. Like it yeah. almost, it almost like just, it, it just felt like a button press to like yeah, do the motion. Exactly. Yeah. But Skyward Sword with the addition of the motion plus and the directional movement and stuff just like took it to the next level where it was like I don't want to engage with this at all. Yeah. So. Yeah. Understandable. Yeah. So yes. Can't wait. Uh, that is on the way. Uh, we got a date for that yet? Uh, uh, it's in the Ju- summertime. July sixteenth. July sixteenth yeah. of twenty twenty one. So a couple of months from now. Um, so yeah, that will be uh, a nice way to spend the summer. Uh, other Nintendo stuff that looked uh, cool. There's a new Mario Golf game on the way, which I'm very happy about because Mario Golf is super fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Mario Golf is probably um, on the on the N64 is the game that sort of convinced me that yes, yes, I do actually quite like golf games. I like I I sort of played a few on home computers and stuff in the past and enjoyed them a bit, but always felt a, a slight sort of a slight sense of shame about liking golf games. But um, yeah, when Mario Golf for N64 came along, I, I played that and I was like, 
you know what this this is fun this this is fun and like we play it multiplayer and we do the taunts with the c buttons and that sort of thing and annoy each other with that and it was it was great yeah yeah, i mean i've always loved the mechanics of golf but mm-hmm. like I need my gay golf games to have fun visuals. Like that's what yeah. that's why like I never played traditional golf games because like I, I don't just want to be a man in pants. So, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. With the except exactly. with the exception of Neo Turf Masters, that's yeah. the only exception. Well, I, well, I mean Neo Turf Masters has, has all the sort of bombastic arcadey stuff going on around it, doesn't it? Like with the the shouting, digitized speech, and the massive headings coming up on screen and that sort of thing. And yeah. Yeah, so so like Mario Golf has obviously got the Mario characters and the really colourful visuals and stuff like that. Uh, Tee Off on Dreamcast I've talked about before. That's got like the incredible electric guitar music in the background that sounds mm-hmm. like rejected Sonic Adventure music and that sort of thing. So yeah, and of course yeah. the Everybody's Golf series is fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the big thing about the new Mario Golf is they're reintroducing an RPG style story mode. Yes, like, w- yes, which is a holdover from the old days of the the Game Boy Color versions. Yes, right. right. Like that's exciting. That that's mm-hmm. really like that's enough to make me bite on this. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. Um, did you play the the, the Mario Tennis they did a while back? The new one on the Switch. Yeah. Yeah. No, I never got around to it because there was just so much DLC for it that I like wanted to wait and see what happened with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, they, they they sort of did the RPG thing in that, but it was it was executed a bit more like um, World of Light in Smash Brothers. So it was it was sort of like a node based map, and you went around and you did challenges and stuff. And there were okay, they were, it was cool because there there were like boss fights and stuff where you were just using tennis mechanics to fight bosses and that sort of thing. So there were some really cool ideas in there. Um, the, the, the trouble with Mario Tennis on Switch, I think, is it's just a little bit too complicated like it's got these really cool mechanics that if you know how to do them you you can have some really fun matches but uh, i've tried playing it multiplayer with a few people and just explaining these um this zone shot mechanic as it's called in mario tennis is an absolute nightmare to to, to newcomers mm. um, and, and so that that mean that means it, it kind of fails as the accessible nintendo tennis game that it used to be but as a single player game it's really fun um Mario Golf, uh, I mean, Golf, you can argue, is a bit more of a, a solitary game in the first place by its sort of turn-based nature. Um, but yeah, yeah, interested to see what's what's going on there. So it's got the RPG mode and it's also got a speed golf mode as well uh, where you play simultaneously with people, um, which sort of goes against what I, what I just described there. But y- yeah, you have people on the same hole of the course at the same time and you have to run through the course in real time, use items and special shots to get to the hole first so that sounds really interesting as well so oh yeah as, as long as they as long as they keep that nice and sort of accessible and don't add too many overcomplicated mechanics to it like they did with mario tennis i think that that could be really fun multiplayer so uh we'll have to see that's also coming in june that's out on june the 25th of 2021 and you can pre-order that now so uh yeah watch out for that uh, next up, um, well, the original story we post here is that SNK is working on a Neo Geo <laughs> selection. Uh, that is that is now available as a digital download, and it's also been confirmed for physical release in several different places. So Limited Run Games are doing one, and uh, who's doing it in Europe? It's I like Pixin Love. What is the name oh, of Pi- that company? Pixin Love. Yeah, yeah. That's that's like um, they've 
they're a sort of up and coming kind of limited press place have been doing a few things recently but yeah they've they've picked that up for european distribution so if you're in europe and you don't want to pay um limited run shipping fees then yeah get it through pix and love instead and i, I believe the the sort of special editions they're doing that are fairly comparable so yeah i'm interested to see what comes in pix and loves uh limited edition because i i much prefer the visuals of the box of the euro mm-hmm. release from pix and love to the yeah the, to the uh the us one and i'm not really interested in a lot of the bonuses that come with the us one so if, mm-hmm. if the pix and love le isn't great i'm just gonna opt for the us standard edition probably but yeah. um but it, but I love the box that the Pix and Love one comes in. Yeah, it's really kind of minimalist and like attractive. Yeah. So they haven't actually revealed what's in that box yet. They're going to be revealing that on April the twenty second, which is the Thursday after this podcast goes out. Um, so at two p.m. UK time. So they'll open pre-orders then as well and reveal what is inside that. So if you want to find out what is in there, then check back on April the twenty second. Um so what's actually in this compilation uh so it's got king of fighters r2 and samurai showdown 2 then the last blades beyond the destiny and fatal fury first contact hasn't it got some metal slug games in there as well it does yeah and i think it has dark arms which is awesome Mm -hmm. which is interestingly enough takes place in the same universe is do you remember beast busters on 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 the snk compilation that like yeah yeah, it's like Dark Arms is like a top-down action horror-themed RPG set in the same uh-huh. universe as Beast Busters. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, it's got Metal Slug first and second mission, and most importantly of all, Gals Fighters. Yes. Yeah, cool. So there's a few games in here that they haven't released separately, aren't there? Which I, I know a few people have got a little bit upset about because they've already bought them digitally, and then if they want these other games, they'll have to buy this collection and basically buy some of the games twice. But, Ooh. you know... You always take that risk with these sort of retro re-releases, but uh, and I mean it's it it's going to be a good value package anyway. So yeah, it's Whatever. worth it alone for Metal Slug, I would argue. So yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. All right, uh, continuing along. Next story we've got is that Legend of Mana is getting a remaster. Um, so the Square Enix seems to sort of be very much on a, a kind of remaster binge at the minute with Saga Frontiers just come out. Um, they 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 said um earlier this week that they want to do some more saga remasters as well yes Um, please so yeah looking forward to seeing some of those uh legend of mana is what did that originally come out on that was ps1 PS1. wasn't it yeah Mm. is that the one you've talked about before with the the sort of side scrolling stuff or is that yeah yeah, it's like legend of mana is really different than like traditional mana games Mm -hmm. um uh in that it's it's got like a world map that you build gradually okay. with like you yeah. so you you find items and then you place them on the map uh-huh. and that like you 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 build the world with your placement oh, cool. of these items so like the different playthroughs feel different uh, yeah. and it's a it's a shorter game and it's it and it feels like a it feels like a beat 'em up okay. like the way yeah. like the way it the way it plays it's almost like a belt scrolling beat 'em up mm-hmm. um, but with RPG mechanics so yeah. like. It's it's a it's a really unique game. It's got mm-hmm. absolutely stunning visuals, a great soundtrack. So yeah, this is great. Square's been knocking it out of the park lately with these re-releases, and um, there is a physical English language edition you can pre-order out of Asia too. So yes, yep. Same with Saga if you want the Saga remaster. 
Yes, yes, I will have to pick those up at some point. Uh, and that is coming out. <laughs> that's coming out on June as well, June twenty fourth, uh, so twenty twenty one. So June is going to be an expensive month for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, um, the summer's rough. Yeah. All right. Uh, we've got a release date for No More Heroes three. Is that also June? Uh, no, that's August the twenty seventh. So you've uh, got a couple, got a couple of months uh, to calm down before No More Heroes three comes out. Um, yeah. So there's a new trailer for that as well. Um, so we've got a bit more, bit more gameplay stuff. Um, yeah, that's that's about all that's new with that really. Um, also, the 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 remasters of one and two. Um, uh, should be going out from Limited Run and a few other places soon as well. So, looking forward to trying those. I've had the Wii ones on my shelf for ages and never fired them up. So, mm. I thought I, I might as well buy. It. I thought I might as well get the Switch versions. <laughs> Back when I was like a grumpy, like nineteen-year-old, I used to blog a lot about the first one. But I, I didn't play. <laughs> I didn't play the second one much. But I really have a have a soft spot for this series. Mm. Yeah, I, I know a lot of people like them a lot. So. Uh, yeah, looking forward to trying those. Uh, okay, next one. This uh, not sure if this is still true, but um, the Project Triangle strategy demo uh, went up uh, after the Nintendo Direct uh, yeah. back in uh, late February. Not sure if it's still there offhand without looking, um, but I, I know it was there and people tried it. And this was basically um, Octopath Traveler approach to sort of Final Fantasy tactic style mechanics, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The big news for me isn't so much the demo, so much as it is, holy shit, this exists. Uh, <laughs> yeah. A strategy, a strategy game from the Octopath Traveler team exists. Yeah, I'm done for. Uh, the, <laughs> the end. <laughs> like, cannot wait. Yeah, yeah. So that's that is already looking lovely. I haven't actually tried the demo yet, but uh, did you try it yet? No, I have a I have a pretty I have a pretty strong policy against bothering wasting my time playing demos that I know I'm going to buy anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> to be fair though, that did save me with Balan Wonderworld. The one time I decided to break <laughs> to break that rule ended up, ended up saving me sixty bucks. So, uh, but no, I haven't I haven't played the demo. I will buy this game. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I don't I don't need to play the demo. Yeah. One thing Square Enix have been quite good with, uh, with regard to demos, is that they they specifically use them to take feedback now. So yeah, I know, they treat them like early access almost. Yeah, exactly. So so I know in the case of Balan Wonderworld, like some of the some of the complaints and criticisms were so widespread that, that they did something about them between the demo and the release of the game. So um, yeah, uh, they're, they're, and they're taking feedback from the Project Triangle Strategy demo as well. They did the same for Bravely Default Two as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that's, that seems to be a thing they're doing now, which is which is cool because that's that that's a good use of a demo, and it's not it's not the the sort of pre-order now and you get access to our beta approach, which is basically paying for a demo because the yeah. game's already done in those cases. But um, yeah, no, that's that's quite a good way of uh, of doing things. Yeah, I appreciate that that they do that. Uh huh. Right, uh, continuing on, next story we've got is that Netflix's Castlevania is getting a season four in May, uh, and that is going to be the last season. So uh, I'm sure you're looking forward to that, and you're probably about to tell me that I should watch Net Castlevania on Netflix, which I still do, haven't done. Do I, yeah, do I have to at this point? No, um, no, I know. Uh, well, to be fair, when season four comes out, you'll just be able to binge the whole thing. 
True. So, true. so, so, and, right. and not live in agony year to year like I've been for the past five years of exactly. my life. Exactly. This was my plan all along. <laughs> uh yeah so um yeah so that's that's pretty soon at the time of recording so um yeah watch out for that um anything else to say about that um no it doesn't really say much about the story there no, is a just, new trailer for it but yeah uh, just that i can't believe it's coming so soon yeah it's like may what 13th or something like that it's like a month yeah, away may, th may 13th and it's 10 year episodes so yeah, plenty to enjoy there. Looking forward to that. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, new Evercade cartridge announced, Mega Cat Studios 2. Uh, it comes with eight games. Um, so the games in here, there's a, a bunch from the Russian developer Retro Souls, who did several of the games on the previous Mega Cat Studios collection. They do the, the sort of really short form micro games that are sort of puzzle based. So they do mm. stuff like Multi Dude and. Um, old towers and that sort of thing so there's a few more of their things on there mm. um multitude so, was probably my favorite game on the mega cat collection so that's exciting yeah yeah uh, several of the other games on this are of the multi-dude ilk um sort of the i guess i guess the big ticket item on here is uh Arcagus revolution which is a, a a new mega drive game but they developed it to um, have a Mode 7 like scaling and rotation effect in there, which um, the Mega Drive doesn't have that in hardware, so they've done that all in software. So it's very, very impressive. Um, it's a top down sort of exploration shooter type thing where you fly through enemy bases and you shoot things and you explore and you spin the screen around and go, ooh, the Mega Drive shouldn't be able to do this. Um, <laughs> it kind of reminded me in the footage I saw of the top down levels in Thunder Force 2, but with but with yeah. rotation in the mix yeah. yeah it's it's a bit more sort of like um because the thunder force 2's top down levels you, you're sort of flying out in the open and sort of occasionally constrained by force fields and stuff uh Arcagus revolution it, it feels a little bit more claustrophobic in that you sort of oh, fly okay. through cor corridors and things so i like that like, like you have a map and that sort of thing so you're flying a spaceship around enemy bases and that sort of thing um uh, Remy Hour and Judy Cat is uh, a puzzle game uh, that's a lot of fun as well. That's based on sort of moving shapes around and pl plonking down on a grid. And you have to put a certain number of shapes down to complete the level, but you also clear lines off there if you make a complete horizontal or vertical line as well. Um, yeah, and then uh, several other bits and pieces there as well. So the trailer up for that now where you can get a quick preview of those and uh pre-orders are up for that now as well along with the codemasters collection uh which includes a bunch of sensible software games as well including sensible soccer uh cannon fodder and um megalomania as well so i mean even if you, even if you don't care about the sort of codemasters budget nes games that are on that compilation these sensible software games are worth the price of admission alone on the codemasters collection so check those out um and like all the other evercade cartridges they are uh, 15.99 or 20 dollars so yeah look out for them um more recent news uh, we had a nintendo indie world presentation recently where there was a bunch of interesting stuff including an announcement from renowned indie developer konami um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, who have uh, revealed that they are doing a new Getsu Fumaden game, um, which was a surprise. Um, so they've done a new Getsu Fumaden game before they've done a new Castlevania. 
uh, which is interesting. But this this looks pretty cool, actually. It's sort of got a very sort of ukiyo-e um, art style to it. Um, it's a uh, roguelike action platformer um, based on the ideas of the original Getsu Fuma Den. So you play um, Getsu Fuma and you are fighting against whatever the big dragon thing's called. Um, so I've forgotten. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's a side-scrolling hack and slash roguelike platform game with a lovely art style. So looking forward to giving that mm-hmm. a go. So I actually took the time to have a look at the NES game this week as well. Oh sure, I wrote a little bit about it on Rice Digital. There is actually an English patch out there for it as well, which is good because the original uh, Famicom version is quite text-heavy. So, uh, but there, there is an English patch out there. So if you're curious about the origins of that, then uh, there is a a ROM patch available. Um, also, as well, if you ever played Castlevania Harmony of Despair, one of the DLC packs for that is based on Getsu Fumiden as well. So there's a level based on the Getsu Fumiden map uh, and also Getsu Fuma as a playable character as well. So uh, that's yeah. cool. This game is often considered part of the Castlevania universe. Yeah. Like, like it, it's often considered to be like just like castlevania japan edition and like some people theorize that like just like we're always talking about like namco lore being united like yeah a lot of a lot of castlevania heads think this also takes place in the same world as castlevania yeah, yeah. it would make sense I, I mean sort of sort of the the sort of setting is is completely different because it's it's japanese mythology but it's it's plausible for that to be happening alongside what's going on in castlevania as well yeah and obviously Getsu Fuma's presence in Castlevania Harmony of Despair would kind of back that up as well. So, yeah, cool. Uh, looking forward to giving that a go. That is coming in 2022, uh, but they're doing an early access version on Steam uh, starting on May 13th, actually, and that's a lot sooner than I thought. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's on the way. Another game for June. Um, Alex Kidd in Miracle World DX is coming in June 2021. Uh, and that's going to be available for all current consoles and PC. Uh, and on PC, both the Epic Games Store and Steam will have it. Uh, so this is a, a remake rather than a, a port of the original Alex Kidd in Miracle World, which is a Master System game. Uh, so you can play it with either its new art style or the retro classic mode look. Um, there's a new trailer for it. Um, there's a boss rush mode. And yeah, so this should be interesting to have a look at. Fan of Alex Kidd at all? Um, I'm a fan of Alex Kidd in the sense that, like, respecting the history of Alex Kidd is a really important part of understanding Sega's history, but, like, I'm not a super huge fan of actually playing Alex Kidd, (laughs) because they're just kind of clunky and old and not a ton of fun, but, um, uh, I I can't, I'm really interested to check this out. I think the visuals of this new version are really charming, um, and it's just kind of an opportunity to, I don't know, re-explore what... Uh, as you said, it's a remake, not not like an enhanced port. So um, there's a lot of opportunity there to like expand on the things that made Alex Kid fun, while refining some of the things that made it a bit more difficult to engage with, with like more modern sensibilities. So yeah, um, I am quite looking forward to this. Yeah, I think Alex Kid in Miracle World is probably the Alex Kid game that has aged the best as well. Because uh, like I've I've gone back and tried Alex Kid in Miracle World on Master System and also. Uh, a couple of the Mega Drive ones as well, and the Mega Drive ones are very hard to play today. Yes. But, but the Miracle World actually still holds up quite nicely. So, uh, yeah, it's a, a good one to, to remake, I think. So, yeah, that will be interesting. Uh, as we say, 
June again, June 24th, that one. So, big week for gaming. <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, another game for May. Uh, Save Me Mr. Taco is coming back to digital storefronts on May the 5th, 2021. Um, remind me what was going on with this because I... I, I, like, I remember the name, but I don't remember the story behind it. So what, what was the big deal with this? Uh, I think Saving Mr. Taco is an adorable, like, a faux Game Boy game mm -hmm. um, that they that was made, um, and it was adorable. Um, and I think there... I don't know the exact history, but I think there were some um, issues with the Nicalis publishing yeah. the original one. Um, Nicalis delisted it after the the i guess they had a falling out with a developer um yeah this this is what this is kind of a single developer his name is christoph galati he, he was a single developer for the game and i think uh Nicalis and he had a had a parting of ways and then Nicalis took it down from digital storefronts um so now he has kind of come back and made a tweaked and enhanced version that he's calling the definitive edition and um arranged a different publication um avenue so now it's coming back uh gonna hit consoles and um limited run is going to be publishing physical copies of it which is exciting because mm -hmm. this game is quite well regarded and super cute cool all good uh yeah one thing worth noting is because of the sort of um split from the original publisher they're not able to patch the old version with the new content so if you want the definitive edition content you're gonna have to buy the game again um, they, they've tried to work around that, but just just because of the sort of publisher finagling and the way the digital storefronts work, particularly on consoles, they just haven't been able to to patch it. So um, yeah, that's unfortunate. But uh, for people who've never experienced it, you can buy the definitive edition from May the fifth. Um, and as we say, limited run games are doing physical version as well, which is neat. Uh, next story at the start of April, we had we, actually we had a flurry of. Um, April Fool's gags from developers and publishers where the April Fool's gag was that the a previous April Fool's gag was actually a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens so, when like a year ago you do an April Fool's gag and everybody wants the thing. Yeah, you, yeah. It's almost like they're using April Fool's gags now to like litmus test people's interest in something they really want to make but aren't sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so there have been a few of these. Uh, so the first one was that Platinum Games uh, last year said that they were going to do a new game in the Cresta series uh, called Soul Cresta. Um, but yeah, they've decided that they're actually going to make that now. So it's a follow-up to Moon Cresta and Terra Cresta, which are from 1980 and 1985 respectively. Um, and yeah, so they've they've done like a full trailer for this, and they've uh, sort of shown the game off and explained it. And they're collaborating with Hamster Corporation, who are the publisher of the Arcade Archive series. Um, and yeah, so that is coming to uh, modern platforms sometime in 2021, and they also say it's going to be the first in a neo-classic arcade series. That's what's exciting uh, for me. The idea that Platinum Games has something going on that they're calling neo-classic arcade series. Yeah, exactly. And th this is something I'm super hyped about uh, because of because of Nier, specifically, actually, because the shoot-em-up sequences in Nier Automata were so good. Uh, I came away from that thinking, Platinum Games should really make a shoot-em-up. And they are. So, cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. This is exciting for so many reasons. I mean, I remember back when we did our TurboGrafx slash PC Engine episode, I raved about Terra Cresta a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, yeah, great. It's a cool series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 
Um, also on the on the April Fool's front, um, uh, Neckerwork S confirmed that uh, an April Fool's joke from I think 2019, uh, which was that they were doing an Atome version of Necopara. That's real as well. Uh, so they they're doing that. So if you like Cat Boys, uh, then that is coming along, and that's going to be free as well. So when that comes out, that will be a free download, uh, which is nice. Cute. Again, that's again that's probably sort of. Uh, sort of taking the temperature of the audience and seeing if if that's something they want to explore further because obviously Necopower has been such a huge thing um if they can sort of spin that off into another series for the Atome market as well then even better same i think there was also some discussions about like a while ago they teased a digimon metabots crossover and now they're actually doing it oh yes 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 and they're actually doing that as well <laughs> which my brain will not be able to handle <laughs> If that's, a, if, that, if that's real. Oh, dear. Yeah. All right, moving along. Uh, less positive news. Um, Shunsuke Saito, who was the character designer for Gravity Rush 1 and 2, um, has left uh, Sony Japan Studio. Uh, not that there's anything really left of Sony Japan Studio at this point, but he, yeah, he's, he's gone now as well. Um, so, I mean, Sony has been sort of winding down japan studio for a while but like most of their key staff had either already left or in the process of leaving anyway so like keichiro toyama left a while back and formed their that bokeh studios um who are working on their their horror projects at the minute and shinsuke saito's gone now and a bunch of other people have have gone as well so yeah uh shame end of an era yeah. but yeah. I, I don't think anyone didn't see this coming with the way Sony have been behaving of late, so which yeah. is unfortunate. But it's just like pour one out for Sony Japan's dude. Like, oh, yeah, God. yeah, yeah. So it's many great painful. games. So many great games. And in fact, um, one thing we haven't put the list in in here is the um, the closure of the PSN stores as well. Yes, um, I didn't even want to talk about it. It's too painful. <laughs> yeah exactly so so from later this summer i think that might be june as well actually um the the ps3 psp and playstation vita stores are closing down so that you won't be able to uh buy new stuff supposedly you will be able to um download stuff you've already purchased so the, the servers will still be up uh but you won't be able to buy any new stuff and some people have reported that already certain ps3 games can't be patched anymore as well yeah. so uh yeah, so that's that's not great news. Um, From what I understand, though, that was a technical error. Like that wasn't like intentional. Like I think they're actually going to fix that. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, there's also uh, an issue that's uh, arisen that people have found out, which is um, if the the CMOS battery goes in um, the PS3, the PS4, or the PS5. They've tested it on all of them now. If the CMOS battery goes and the uh, console can't set its time via the internet then you can't access your digital content so that's a bit of a problem um <laughs> so hopefully hopefully something will be patched into that before it's too late um in the meantime uh, there are a number of things on the ps3 store in particular that you can't get anywhere else um i did an article about these on rice digital the other week um so there's there's a few really interesting games on there that you can only get as digital downloads on ps3 uh, so there's Lega Sister from um, Nipponichi. That's Nipponichi, isn't it? Yes, it is. Um, mm -hmm. And um, Battle Princess of Arcadius is also Nipponichi. Uh, Tokyo Jungle, which is from Sony Japan Studio. Uh, what else was there? I forgot. Rain? Did you myself. talk about Rain? 
Uh, no, it didn't actually. Um, but yes, I completely forgotten about that. Uh, but yeah, that was a super cool game. Yeah, Echo Chrome. So, yeah, so a, a bunch of, of really cool, interesting games are going down the toilet from the sound of things, which is a real shame, um, unless someone figures out some means of preserving them or doing some sort of release of them. I'm, I'm crossing my fingers that one of the limited-run companies have, has figured something out behind the scenes for this, but I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath for it at this point. See, limited-run has published PS3 games. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, something like Tokyo Jungle will be difficult for them to make happen, but this, I mean... It's plausible that the Nipponichi stuff could get ported or re-released or something like that. And obviously, Nipponichi has done that um, Nipponichi Classics compilation as well with mm-hmm. um, uh, what's it called, Phantom Brave, and the the one you really like, Soul Eater. I can no, never remember Eater, the name of that game. I love that game, and I can never remember the name of Soul Nomad versus the Soul World Nomad. Eaters. That's it. Yeah, Soul Eater is an anime. Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, it's not beyond the realm of possibility for them to re-release those at some point, but they haven't said anything about them, and they seem to have forgotten they existed. So, we'll have to wait and see, I guess. But in the meantime, if you want to play those games, then download them before like June. Um, otherwise, you won't be able to play them. Yeah, I just, I, I hope we get more definitive information about like patching and stuff. It's just like, mm-hmm. do I have to scramble between now and June to download? to buy every ps3 game i've ever wanted physically just so i can ensure i can patch them like you know it's a it's a really scary uh prospect yeah the the one slight blessing is that sort of patching in the 360 and the ps3 era wasn't as essential as it is now i mean it still happened yeah but i don't think it was nearly as essential as it is for the ps4 and beyond so like day one patches only became a thing towards the end of the ps3 and the 360 era yeah uh, so, so there's a lot of stuff you can put in and it will just run fine um but yeah they're, they're, they're equally there is plenty of stuff that, that needs patching to sort of perform its best and so on so anyway sad news moving on um Dunos 2 is releasing on modern consoles plus 3ds and dreamcast this is coming from indie publisher pixel heart um and it's the sequel to a shoot 'em up from 1992 um you could probably tell me a bit more about this, the <laughs> yeah, of this. it's like andrew dunos is one of the like i don't know it's a it, it's a shooter on neo geo oh, okay. um yeah it's 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 quite bad um it's kind <laughs> of like, like when i saw this news i was like really um so yeah it's not good um, it's really clunky and like I don't I don't know it's hard it's hard to describe it but it's also like it's not great but it's still charming and fun to play because it's like uh-huh. really low budget and like it doesn't <laughs> I don't know it has it has a charm to it that I find myself enjoying so it was really curious to me that um, they would even be doing a sequel to it but um, this new one looks amazing and it appara- it has a bit of the um, like they've adopted a bit of like the sprite style, and like visual style that made that kind of defined Andrew Dunos, but it doesn't um, have the number one problem Andrew Dunos had, which was that it was so goddamn slow that it ended up being boring. And if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't think a boring shmup was possible, you need to play Andrew Dunos. But um, this one is like a lot. It's like zhuzhed up. It's like modern. Like there looks, looks to be a lot of like background scrolling and fast-paced action. So this kind of almost looks like it's delivering on the promise of what the original was kind of always supposed to be. Oh, that's cool. In a lot of yeah. ways. 
Um, but it's a new game. Like, that's what's important to remember. Like, this isn't, like, a port of Androdunos 2 from the Neo Geo. There wasn't an Androdunos 2. This is a brand new game. They just uh-huh. chose to make a sequel to this obscure Neo Geo shooter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. it's, got, uh, it's got music by Alistair Brimble as well, which is cool. Alistair Brimble did a lot of stuff for uh, Codemasters. Um back in the sort of late 80s early 90s he's he, he does a lot of really good really nice sort of uh tuneful work as well so i can imagine there'll be some nice catchy music in this because yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of his work i remember looking him up recently and sort of seeing that he'd worked on some stuff that really surprised me let me just uh check it because i, I always knew him from stuff like um dizzy and that sort of thing on the oh, sure. atari on the atari st and uh, nes and that sort of thing but uh yeah, I'm sure I, I looked at something recently. I thought, wow, he, he did that. Um, yeah, so he's done a lot of sort of stuff that you've probably heard of, but maybe hadn't thought much about the music of. So, like, he did the music for Prison Architect and Goat Simulator. Um, Frozen Synapse, which is a really cool uh, strategy game from a few years back. Um, he did the music for Bejeweled 3 on the Nintendo DS. Oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah, so he's, he, he's done a bunch of things. Oh, Steamworld Tower Defense he did as well. Uh, he works on the DS version of Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing. Yeah, so yeah, he's he's been very prolific over the years. Although he's he's not sort of a, as big a name as some people who um, have worked on stuff for, for that long. But yeah, he's he does a good job. So yeah, I'm I mean, interested to hear what his I work know, is. I know you and I have talked at length about kind of my lack of familiarity and honestly lack of appreciation for that like whole era of like Euro mm-hmm. development, but like that doesn't extend to the music from a lot of those games. Like, you know, we were talking about um like Turrican, uh, you know, off off cast yesterday mm-hmm. and how like although I don't love Turrican to play it, like I respect it historically, but that doesn't that doesn't um translate over to chris holzbeck's music like holy yeah. shit the music <laughs> in turkin is amazing like, that whole uh that whole generation of composers for that era like they had such a distinct sound yeah uh, and yeah, i definitely. and i absolutely love their work yeah good stuff all right last story for now then uh is that uh there's a bunch of you blue reflection stuff uh already already with us at the time of recording actually uh, the the first part of this uh, but there is a, a Blue Reflection anime, there is a second Blue Reflection game for consoles and PC, and there is a Blue Reflection mobile game as well, but who cares about that? Um, <laughs> the Blue Reflection anime has already started, you can watch that on Funimation, I've got that, uh, English subtitled. Uh, I watched the first episode of that, and it's it's very good. Uh, it's um, it's not an adaptation of the game, it's a, it's a separate story that sort of uses the same uh, concepts and ideas, but it's a completely different set of characters. Uh, but I love got when the, they do that. Yeah, they've got the vibe of it just right. They've got the music right. They've got the the sort of look and feel of it really good. So, if you enjoyed the uh, the game, then definitely check out the anime, which is called Blue Reflection Ray. Um, the new game is called Blue Reflection Second Light, uh, and that is coming soon. <laughs> uh hasn't, hasn't got a date yet but they, they they are working on it at the moment that's coming to ps4 switch and pc um curry tech has already confirmed that it's coming west as well so uh that made um all three of us who played blue reflection very happy um, <laughs> <laughs> i love blue reflection it's great you'd hate it but i love it i know um, but i love it the visuals of it like i could I look at i could look at yeah. screenshots from blue reflection all day long yeah yeah, but yeah, 
I, 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 nothing about Blue Effect. Like, I really don't need to play, like, a tens of hours of my life exploring, like, why this girl's too sad to play tennis or whatever. Uh-huh. Like, whatever Blue Reflection's about. That's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but there's giant tree monsters as well. Oh, she's, okay. she, she's too sad to play tennis, but then you help her out, and then and then she can hit tennis balls at the giant tree monster. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to a second game of that. And in the meantime, I've got the anime to enjoy, so uh, I am enjoying that. Anyway, uh, that is everything that has sort of caught our attention over the last couple of months or so. Anything else you want to bring up before we take a quick break? No, as as usual, I started building this list being like there's no news but we talked about it for an hour so <laughs> yeah fair enough all right so we'll take a short break and then we'll come back and we'll talk about what we've been playing recently so we'll see you in just a moment Welcome back. For our second segment, we want to talk a bit about what we've been playing recently. Uh, the first thing we want to talk about is actually something that could fit into our third segment, but because it's quite a well-known game and we want to focus on some slightly lesser-known titles in the third segment, we thought we'd talk about a bit about it now. Uh, and that game is Hades. Mm. Um, yeah, so Hades is um, a... It's basically an, an action roguelike, I guess you'd say. Um, yeah. But it's also got an element of sort of unfolding story as you do repeated runs. Um, it's less about sort of um, heavy RPG mechanics like leveling up and that sort of thing. And it's more focused on kind of the action side of things and collecting different power-ups as you go through individual runs and so on. So each run is quite sort of self-contained, but there's a really nice meta game in there as well. So... Um, yeah, well, what do you want to say about Hades, then? <laughs> uh, I think the first place you have to start with Hades is what Hades looks like. Oh, yes. Which is, like, it's one of the most beautiful games I've probably ever played in terms mm-hmm. of style and presentation. Um, every time I boot it up, I kind of think about... Um, did you see the Penny Arcade comic a while ago about Hades? I don't think so. so yeah, so they did, a, they, they did a comic about Hades, and... Um, Wherein um, they're talking about like, oh, have you been playing Hades? And uh, and Gabe is like, no. Uh, Gabe, who is the artist, one is like, no, I haven't. Oh yes, I have seen this. Yes. And 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 and, and uh, Ticho is like, why? And he's like, because the art hurts me. If I ever drew a single character that looked as beautiful as any one of the characters, half as beautiful as any one of the characters in this game, I would immediately have to put all my art supplies away and give up art forever because I would know I could never bypass that. Like, yeah, li- every character is so meticulously, beautifully, stylistically designed that, like, I. I- I'm I'm getting sad because I think I've mostly run out of new characters to meet at this point, and I, <laughs> and I don't think I'm going to get surprised and thrilled by any new designs. But like every you know, um, Hades is of course based on Greek mythology, so it's just these gorgeously stylized representations of all these classic characters, and I just 
you know, as someone who's been a fan of mythology for their entire life, to see these kind of like modern interpretations uh, with this unique style has, has just been such a treat for me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And they are complemented perfectly by some wonderful voice acting as well. Yes. Um, yeah, so it's, it's very sort of, it's very, very English voice acting, isn't it? So like, like Zagreus is going around calling people mate all the time and that sort of thing. And there's a lot of quite British humor in there as well. And it, it, it just works really well, though. Just the, the different personalities of all the, of all the, the gods and so on. It's, oh, it's just wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's right. I couldn't be more in love with Nyx if I tried. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, yeah. The way that just the interactions and the personalities and um, the the subtle world building—it's it, almost a bit like Dark Souls in the sense that, like, there's not a tremendous thrust of narrative, but you learn about the characters and their world and how they feel about each other and their history with one another. The yeah. more you speak with them, and you by no means have to speak with them in most mm-hmm. cases. It's totally up to you when you're in the hub world who you want to talk to and when and why. Yeah, there's a, there's also a nice thing where sort of as sort of the first time you go to new places, there's sometimes little sparkling things on the floor that you can pick up, and that gives you a bit of lore. Mm-hmm. But the Zagreus is obviously quite aware of the narrator as well, and he'll often sort of talk back to the narrator and that sort of things. There's some great scenes with that. It's like, yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it. Um, I'd, I'd love his scenes with um, Charon, where he meets yeah. Charon. It's like, it's like, oh, Charon, mate, how are you doing? Uh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and of course, there's the there's the mechanic too, where you can give nectar of the gods to the different characters in exchange for increasing your friendship rating with them, which then also yields equipment for you. Yeah. And um, like, it's great when you do it with Charon because it like it gets like awkward, and it's like, oh, Charon, um, you know, you're always working so hard, and uh, I just thought I'd give this to you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, it's 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 like he's. He's trying, <laughs> like, but uh, but then like the design for Charon is so amazing. Like it's yeah. just uh, oh every, and then you meet Chaos for the first time, and you're like, how yes. did a human draw this? <laughs> like yeah. it's amazing. It's just it's just amazing. And then right. even so, like occasionally, you know, one of the one of the mechanics in the game that's amazing is like so. Throughout your runs, you discover these these icons of the different gods in Olympus who are trying to help you escape from the underworld. They will grant you boons. Uh, they will present you with a list of boons that radically affect the way the combat works for that run. Um, occasionally, you will come across a situation where you will be presented with two boons. And then you have to make a choice which one you're going to take from which god. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then the gods get pissy with each other because you're playing favorites. Mm-hmm. And then they, then they have, like, then their dialogue will shift based on, like, who you've pissed off and, and who you've favored. Um, I can't imagine how much dialogue was written for this game. There, there um, is an insane amount because it, it is responsive to pretty much everything you do. Like, like the first boss... The first boss, there is so much different dialogue depending on if you're meeting her for the first time or if she's defeated you before or if you've defeated her before mm-hmm. or if both have happened. Or uh, It's insane. It's insane. There's so many different conversations that can be had for just like seemingly the most innocuous event in the game. 
Have you gotten uh, far enough to not have Meg be the first boss? No. no oh yeah, yet. that starts happening. Um, eventually, <laughs> the other Furies swap in, um, and that's amazing too. Um, yeah, and and do you know um, that if you beat the game in your first run, there's a there's a specific line of dialogue from uh, from um, Hades that you don't get, obviously. <laughs> like, and I've seen that. Like, some guy did like a first time run. Uh, on YouTube, um, and to just to see that special dialogue, and like the only time you can only get that, there's only the only condition for getting that line, that line of dialogue is to to beat the game in your first run, <laughs> awesome with no deaths, um, yeah, and like what what's his name, the Amorpheus? Every time you come back, and he's like, ah, Meg killed you again, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, oh, it's so good, yeah. and then uh. And then each weapon you unlock, the extent to which it radically changes the cadence and strategy of the gameplay. And then, yes. e- then each weapon um, has different boons from the gods that can radically change the way those weapons function. So, so every weapon has hundreds of possible builds associated with it, times however many weapons there are. So like, the, 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 fun of playing with the different boons and the different weapons is just infinite replayability yeah yeah it, it, it's great and like each each individual run doesn't take very long either so you can you could sort of just play a couple of sessions or you can immerse yourself in it or you, you can just enjoy it sort of as a simple sort of hacker slash thing or you can specifically seek out particular things to try and do it's great it's 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 such a, a beautifully designed game in terms of sort of mechanics and structure as well as the art style and the voice acting and the music and oh it's it's wonderful all it, all its praise is absolutely deserved yeah yeah it's a I forget exactly the way I phrased it, but like this game is like an exercise in excellence in like mm-hmm. every every sense of the word in terms of design and play, in terms of artistic presentation, and um, it's just it's right. Like this is how video games should be. Like this is how I should feel when I play a game. Just immediately engrossed and impressed at all times. It's just incredible. Um, have you engaged much with Supergiant's other games? I don't remember what your history is like. With I haven't. Them. No, no. It's it, again, they're they're games that I've always been aware of and never got around to at some point. I I, I remember sort of a lot of people talking about Bastion when it first came out and thinking, sure. that, "Oh, I should really play Bastion," and then I just somehow haven't. <laughs> I mean, I really want to play. Um, we've talked about it a couple of times before, but like one of their more recent ones, the the sort of sports one, Pyre. Yeah, yeah. That's the only one I haven't played. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm quite fond of Bastion, and I'm quite fond of Transistor as well. I think you'd really love Transistor. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I have not played Pyre. That's a really unique game. That's basically like Wizard Basketball RPG. Like, yeah. um, I know I'm hoping that at some point, like, there's physical copies of all of them because it's kind of difficult right now. Um, you can get a physical copy of Transistor pretty easily for the Switch, and you can obviously get Hades because that was published for retail. But um, Bastion was handled by limited run and it's one of the ones because of super giants following that goes for quite a bit of money on ebay yeah. and uh pyre's just never been um you know never been ballied about for physical release i really just want the full collection on switch i, I want someone to do bastion and pyre so i can have all yeah. of their titles because i mean all of their games i mean obviously hades is kind of like 
right now the pinnacle of them hitting their their stride but like even all the way back to Bastion no one could really believe this was this team's first game because the level mm-hmm. of polish and excellence was just unreal uh, and you can feel a lot of Bastion's DNA in Hades um, yeah. the play with the narration that the the focus on uh, different weapons radically affecting the mechanics um, it feels it feels very almost like an unofficial sequel to Bastion in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, this is also a, a momentous occasion because this is, I think, the first time we've ever been playing the same game together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I just happened to. Um, in fact, it was I, I was I was I was working the day job at, at Rice Digital and um, for like the the weekly husband article. Uh, one of the freelancers who, who works with me um, did Zagreus from Hades. Of course. And, it, and as part of her article, she wrote, oh, the Hades has got physical release. And I was like, what? Has it? And then I looked on Amazon and I was like, yes, it has. I must buy this immediately. So yeah. I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's encouraging to me because the physical release of Hades was like published by joint venture between Supergiant and Nintendo. Yes. So, so that's hopefully a good sign for their future titles mm-hmm. um you know kind of like how um with shuffle night they basically had their own publication studio worked up and now and not like to do it themselves because no one else was doing it for them so now you know we were pretty much guaranteed physical releases of their output so hopefully it's the same situation with super giant i don't have to fret about their future games because um it's hard to make an argument for games as art more than easily than you can for for super giant stuff. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Okay. Yeah. So we've had a great time with that. What else have you been up to recently? Then uh, I've been playing Habroxia too. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. This this is one I know we talked about a while ago in the news when it was first um, released. And I'm having a really good time with it. Um, it's basically a, um, a shoot-em-up um, with kind of a retro late 8-bit, early 16-bit style, kind of reminiscent of what you'd see on the TurboGrafx or PC engine. Um, and it's really interesting because it's a really great example of um, something we've talked about very frequently when we talk about uh, modern indie beat-em-up games on, on this yeah. show, um, where we kind of discuss the philosophy of developing an arcade-style genre for the home, and how like mm-hmm. modern indie beat-em-ups do this by often introducing RPG elements, progressive upgrades, and unlocks. Uh, so what Habroxia 2 has done is done this for a shoot-em-up. Um, so you play through... A pr- it's a fairly standard shoot-em-up, uh, and you collect currency based on your performance and when you take bosses down and stuff. And then there's a shop where you gradually improve your ship. Um, you know, you can improve the effectiveness of the different super weapons you can collect. You can improve your shot rate, the power of your shot, um, how many shots are in your normal shot, um, how much health you have, because you have hits. It's not just a one hit and you're done affair. Um, and it's, it's, for me, as someone who enjoys games with a bit of a grind, uh, a really fun way to combine my love of shoot 'em ups, which sometimes I lose interest in because there is no um, metagame. Uh, development-focused metagame aside from, like, improving your own skill. And it incru- includes a bit of, like, grinding and progressive upgrades, which makes me feel like I'm investing my time in it, which is something yeah. I generally enjoy from games as an RPG guy. So, 
it's it's a real good time <laughs> i'm having a, a, a lot of fun with it um it's also got an, a cool uh setup with branching level paths um mm -hmm. not in the same way that say darius has where you just get to the end of the level and you choose your path but you actually have to unlock the branching paths by like discovering how to get to them so if you see like a suspicious looking rock or something and then blow it up you can go to a different path and that uh, that unlocks like uh, a different section of the map and you can try a different level out from there um other things that are cool about it uh, it's both horizontal and vertical so sometimes you'll be flying through a level and then you'll like you'll go like up uh you'll turn and like start flying vertically and the whole play of the game will shift to it being a vertical shooter yeah um which is really cool and it just does that like in game there's no load screen or anything everything just kind of like rotates and all of a sudden your ship is facing the other way um and it's able to do this seamlessly because even though it looks like a traditional shooter visually it's actually a twin stick shooter so um you can shoot in any direction um mm -hmm. using using the the two analogs um and that, that's with your main shot and then you also have a secondary shot on the triggers that recharges over time um those can also be upgraded and then you can choose one to face forward one to face back out of the arsenal you've unlocked so there's all kinds of different combinations to kind of build your loadout in your ship combined with the upgrades so there's a real satisfying sense of progress and experimentation there that i'm really digging cool yeah it and sounds really nice uh, I, I know you were excited to try that when it was first sort of announced and shown that there was going to be a physical release today so i'm glad it's lived up to expectations yeah it's a really nice um you know the physical release is through uh east asia soft at play asia mm -hmm. and uh, yeah. it's another one of their very they they often do especially for the games they're publishing specifically these really gorgeous limited edition releases that are just the regular edition of the game so it's like yeah 39.99 or whatever but you get a really nice high quality like glossy box you get a you get a full soundtrack on cd you get a certificate of authenticity um yeah. it's just a real impressive release and it's really appreciated for like the standard retail price yeah definitely definitely yeah that's they've been really good for that it's um i've got a few of them as well i've got the one for uh moero crystal and murder by numbers and possibly another one i'm waiting for the one on seabed that hasn't arrived oh yet. sure but, um yeah they do a good yeah. job mm. yeah for sure for sure all right anything else you've been playing uh, i've also been diving back into the god eater franchise lately oh, okay yeah um which has been fun um because a lot of you know hunter fever is alive and well in the gaming community right now <laughs> with uh, the release of monster hunter rise but um this will come as no surprise to anybody that even though i'm an absolute simp for monster hunter i do not uh buy monster hunter at launch because there's always an enhanced edition with more content later um <laughs> so i always just i always just wait for that secondary version before i buy it so i'm not playing rise right now but i i have had the the jones for a gear crafting boss fight uh, action game like like monster hunter um so i recently acquired copies of god eater 2 and 3 um so i've been playing god eater 2 uh rage burst lately which is like the complete enhanced version of that um i've been playing it on ps4 it's technically a vita game first and foremost but there's a ps4 and i believe steam releases of it as well mm -hmm. um 
basically God Eater is um, kind of a Me Too game for Monster Hunter. Um, you know, when Monster Hunter reached like the height of its popularity, many, many of like the classic second-party publishers we know kind of also took their stab at it. So like Capcom yeah. has Monster Hunter, uh, Namco Bandai has God Eater, uh, Koei Tecmo has uh, Tokiden. There's just a, a whole bunch of them out there, uh, and each. Uh, you know, it's cool to me because each one takes the the traditional concept of a uh, basically boss fight focused action RPG with gear crafting and kind of puts their own spin on it. So even though you know, like we always talk here, like we'll talk about uh, roguelites later today. Um, what's interesting to me about the genre is seeing how these different developers take the core concept and build on it with the unique flavor and mechanics. Um, so what's kind of cool about God Eater is. Um, it's it's really like the most anime infused version of this kind of game. So like, yeah, the, there's a heavy emphasis on the characters themselves, um, and the development of those characters and their personalities. And after almost every mission, there's kind of a cutscene um, where where you kind of explore a different character's history and their relationship with you and their relationship to the greater world around it. Uh, almost to the point where, like, after each mission, feels like an episode of an anime as you're kind of yeah. unlocking new yeah. things about each character. Um, so that's really interesting and kind of different and it's it's kind of fan servicey like there's all like dreamy boys and fan servicey girls and it, it's just a more anime infused take and a more narrative and story heavy take on this because uh narrative is really not part of monster hunter in, in, in a big sense yeah um, so if you're someone who prefers a more narrative heavy approach to gaming like god eater is a way to combine this style of gameplay with a sensibility that's almost visual novelly in in the way mm -hmm. it's done yeah um there is uh, unlike monster hunter there's no armor that you craft um there's just like fashiony outfits you can make all of which are stupid and hideous um <laughs> but, but the 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 big emphasis on the the crafting metagame is on your weapon itself so uh, unlike something like monster hunter or tokiden where you you choose a weapon type and it, like you kind of try to focus on that developing that weapon type um in god eater you have this weapon that's called your god arc um and it has components so it has a shield component a, a, a gun component and a melee weapon component uh and then you can equip different styles of weapon to each of those component slots um, with different performance styles. So you can, so like the melee component, much like Monster Hunter, you can get a, like a spear, a long blade, a heavy blade, a knife, a scythe. There's all kinds of different um, melee blades you can equip to it that affect your combos and what you can do, what kind, kind of damage you do, either piercing, slashing, or crush damage. Um, and then different monsters have different levels of susceptibility to those different damages. Um, but then you can also equip different types of guns, shotguns, machine guns, cannons, sniper rifles, uh, and different types of shields. There's three different types of shields, which have different varying levels of heaviness and therefore different levels of protection at the exchange of speed. So um, how you tweak and build your your god arc based on your play style uh, is just there's kind of infinite possibilities for different... Um, combinations there and it's it's a lot of fun to to tweak with and experiment with that like oh i'm going up in a battle with a guy who flies uh, and is weak against ice so my melee stuff isn't really good so i'm gonna equip the machine gun so i can riddle him with bullets you know that kind of stuff um 
it's so you kind of put you know the what some of the fun is putting the forethought in before you go into the battle and figuring out the weakness of the enemy and building the right loadout to take him down with the right types of equipment they're weak against. It's, it's really entertaining and I enjoy collecting the different items. They all look really cool and they act really cool. Um, the whole game is kind of infused with this post-apocalyptic, like bio-organic style, which is really unique. Um, mm-hmm. So seeing the new next monsters is really um, a big motivator to, to just see how crazy that next design will be. Cool. Um, and it's like many of these games designed to be uh, a quick, quick and fun. So it's very easy to sit down for 45 minutes and bang like two little missions out. You don't have to feel like you've got to sit down all night to play this game, which is kind of conducive to how busy I've been lately. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I I always assume this this sort of game would be sort of a real. I mean, I'm sure there can be a real time sink, but I always assumed that like an average session would be a, a complete time sink. But it's it sounds like it's more you you can let it be a time sink if you want it to be, but if you just want to kill some stuff then you can (laughs) yeah yeah well the thing is too it's like even monster hunter is the same way like any mission in monster hunter has an hour time limit like if you take an hour if you take more than an hour to beat a mission you you fail it um because because it's really hearkening back to its success of the handhelds um so these games have always kind of been built around the idea of like quick half hour hour long missions and if you get addicted and you want to do just one more for eight hours you can but you can also just set a goal do a mission or two and then leave it be at that um Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of up to you how you manage your time sounds good it's not like an mmo where you just like get lost in the fact that you're playing it and then you look at the clock and it's like oh my god where have the last four and a half hours gone (laughs) yeah you can very clearly manage your time with a hunter rpg which is probably why i prefer them to mmos because I, I don't get lost in them or or feel the drives like could keep playing them even when I have time constraints. Cool. All right. Anything else you want to mention? No, I think that's it for me. What have you been up to lately? Cool. A uh, couple of things. Uh, Atelier Shally is uh, probably the main one. So the Atelier Mega feature is still continuing over on MoeGaming.net. Uh, I'm currently on Atelier Shally, which is the last of the three Dusk trilogy games. Um, and it's a game that a lot of people sort of uh, pay attention to because it's the one where they uh, drop the time limit. Um, and um, in many ways, in many ways, in fact, um, Atelier Shally is very much like the Atelier Iris games in terms of structure and design and overall feel. Oh my. Um, so um if if you enjoyed those old ps2 ones then atelier chalet in particular is very much worth checking out um it does help if you've played the first two dusk games because there are characters involved and uh references to events from the previous two games but it also does just stand by itself as well these characters are introduced in such a way that if you if you haven't played aisha and uh, um esker and loji then you can you you could feasibly jump right into atelier chalet um it's probably closest in execution to uh, atelier iris 3 in that mm. there's a there's a divide between when story is happening and when free time is happening so um, it's kind of the other way around to Atelier Iris, though. Um, in Atelier Iris 3, what you would do is you would do a bunch of quests to earn enough points for the next story mission. Um, Atelier Shally is kind of the other way around. It's like each chapter starts with a story mission, and then in order to proceed to the next chapter, you have 
a bunch of tasks that you can do. And it's it's really interesting implemented in Atelier Chalet because rather than being completely reliant on quests, it uses this system called life tasks, um, which in theory is supposed to sort of adapt the structure of the game according to how you're playing. Um, what it does is basically you, you do things throughout the game world and when you've when you've done certain things a certain number of times then the main character will sort of have, have an idea based on that so she'll like think oh I, I killed five beasts in this area maybe I should go somewhere else and try killing some beasts there or something like that and those gradually evolve over the course of the game to make you sort of do more and more ad adventurous things go to different places talk to different characters craft different things and that sort of thing and there are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these life tasks that can unlock as you're playing through the game um a lot of them are optional um they will give you rewards like uh a one-shot injections of experience or permanent bonuses to your stats and that sort of thing um your character also has a, a, a motivation bar as well so if if you don't sort of achieve anything for a little while then a motivational drop and so she won't be as good at gathering stuff she won't run as fast she won't be quite as good in combat and so that that's kind of this game's replacement for the time limit mm. uh, in in that you, you you don't have a hard time limit but it, it discourages you from just running around doing nothing for hours at a time because the, the motivation bar will drop and your character will be less effective um but yeah, it, it works really well. So it, in order to actually progress the story, there are some specific marked life tasks that you have to focus on. But if you want to focus on these side activities, you can do as well. So there's a lot of freedom there um, in these free time segments. And there's one of those in every one of the game's chapters. So as you've unlocked a bit of the world, you then have an opportunity to explore that world and fight its monsters and find its gathering ingredients and find the recipes that you can craft with those gathering ingredients. And it's got a really nice open feel to it uh and i i like it a lot um it's got really lovely presentation as well i mean the the dusk games all look lovely this is the most colorful of the three dusk games so the previous two were quite sort of muted in their color palette but this one is deliberately a lot more colorful because the the main setting of it is an area that up until the point of the story hasn't been particularly touched by the dusk which is the sort of currently unfolding apocalypse in that part of the uh, atelier series um and so it's it's got that that really nice sort of colorful look to it the characters are all very vibrant and, and likable um and it also sort of um marks a, a a switch of main composer for the music as well hmm. um so up until this point um i think his name was daisuke achiwa who had been doing most of the music for the atelier series from um Ken Nakagawa and Daisuke Achiwa had been doing most of the Atelier music from like Atelier Iris onwards. Um, with Atelier Shelley, um, a guy called. Oh, what's his name? I keep forgetting it. Asano something. Hayato Asano. Um, he, he took over as sort of the, the lead composer. He previously contributed to a few soundtracks, but he took over as the lead composer in this one. Um, he's also the composer who worked on the soundtracks for Knights of Azure and Blue Reflection. Oh. Uh, so, so he's got a very distinctive sound to what he does. Um, off mic, we talked a bit about Fantasy Star Piano, which I'm sure at least some people listening will know what I'm talking about. But it's it's basically this sort of ethereal piano sound with sort of lovely full synth lines behind it and that sort of thing. So there's a lot of that in there. Um, but he also does some absolutely rocking, face-melting 
guitar sequences as well so there's some fantastic battle themes in Atelier Chalet as well so yeah it's just been a real pleasure to play so far um i'm coming up on the end of my first playthrough so far um like uh esker and loji there's uh two playable protagonists in this one um in this in natalia shally they come from very different backgrounds rather than um esker and loji where they come from basically the the same starting point if you like um so there's a bit more difference between the two playthroughs in this one which is good um get a true ending if you play it with both characters as well um yeah so so looking forward to seeing how that all concludes and by the time i finish that hopefully the mysterious trilogy dx version should be out as well that's out towards the end of this month uh, i've got a copy of the physical release of that from play asia on the way as well so looking forward to giving that a try yeah i'm real interested to hear your impressions of that later the mysterious trilogy because that's one mm -hmm. of the ones that really just isn't talked about nearly as much i know it had some missteps trying to adapt to like the newer generation but um you know in true you and i fashion i'm sure it's much better than it has a reputation for so yeah yeah for sure for sure um the other thing i've been playing is uh root film which is the sequel to root letter which Ooh, was yeah. a uh, visual novel slash adventure game from a few years back that was from katakawa games um so um the the whole thing with both root letter and root film is that it's uh, it's set in uh, a real place it's set in shimane prefecture in japan uh, which is a really beautiful part of the country that's got very strong ties to Japanese mythology and history and that sort of thing. And so, in both Root Letter and Root Film, there is a lot of um, there's a lot of content that's sort of uh, paying homage to the beautiful scenery of the area and the landmarks and the stuff that's going on. And then there's this narrative going on top of it. Uh, Root Letter was sort of a mystery story about um, receiving receiving a letter from a pen pal who. Uh, you thought had died um so there was a, a sort of mysterious sort of almost ghost story feel to some of it mm -hmm. uh, root root film is a bit more of a uh a murder mystery so you play um you play this character who is a film director and um he is um supposed to be resurrecting this tv drama project that was cancelled 10 years ago for mysterious reasons and over the course of the game you're trying to find out what the reasons that this this project was cancelled as well as solving a bunch of um murder mysteries that happened along the way as well and it's a lot of fun it's got some really good characters got lovely art style um some some great voice acting and um yeah it's it's got that sort of um classic japanese adventure feel to it in that it's it's not like a super complicated adventure where you need to sort of pixel hunt for objects and things like that it's it's basically just a means of you click on the right thing and that will trigger the next story beat but that provides just enough additional interactivity there to make it feel a little bit more interesting like an old pc98 uh, game yeah exactly like that exactly like that so if if you've um looked at any of the stuff i've covered on the history of lewd column on rice digital very similar to a lot of those sort of late 90s pc98 games where sort of it has the trappings of an adventure game it's but it's it's kind of a visual novel underneath all that so you sure. have interactive options and you can sort of look at stuff and you can talk to people and you can move between different locations but there's really sort of one way through it um but it works really well because there's um you sort of go through and you collect clues and there's these stupidly over dramatic interrogation sequences at the end of each chapter that are a lot of fun <laughs> um that's that's like a holdover from root letter as well and i love it um so yeah that was really fun um they, i beat that a while back um 
that had uh, a good ending and I'm hoping we see some more from Katakawa games at some point because they 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 wanted to make this a series they wanted to make this a series of Katakawa mystery games and the original intention was for all of these games to have um, a virtual cast which meant that they would sort of use the same character designs and the same voice actors and so on but they would be playing different characters in each one mm, i love the idea um, of that yeah it's a great idea um i think they've done it in root film they haven't made it super obvious and they haven't talked about it but there's just certain characters in root film i was like i recognize him i recognize her um and so i think they've done it they just haven't made a big deal of it and so it's just this sort of subtle thing that you'll notice if you if you are aware of the fact that they were doing this and if you play the two games one after another you might notice that sort of thing but it's 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 a cool idea yeah ensemble um, casting is one of my favorite things in film i'm a yeah. huge fan of uh, christopher guest's movies because of the ensemble casting mm -hmm. yeah yeah and we, we've got some good examples of that working well in gaming as well. There's stuff like Neptunia and Senran Kagero has shown that that can work really well in games as well. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, Root Film is really good if you want a, um, a sort of murder mystery to solve. It's a decent length as well. It's like 20 hours or so uh, to work through it. And there's some really fun twists and turns along the way as well uh, that will keep you guessing. So give that a go. Uh, and that's about everything I've been playing of late, uh, aside from the stuff that we're going to be talking about in the third segment. So, anything else you want to bring up before we move on? Oh, that's it. Let's dive in. All right, let's take a short break, and then we'll come back and we'll talk about action roguelikes for God knows how long. So, see you in a moment. どうやら10年前にペンディングになった時も そこに何か不吉とされるものが映っていたと。多分そういうことなんだろうね。自分は当時そのプロジェクトに全く関でなかったからわからないけど。曲の方で。Welcome okay, back. So for today's third segment, we're going to be talking about action roguelikes, uh, whatever you want to call them, whether they're roguelites or. <laughs> Uh, action games with roguelike elements or procedurally generated side-scrolling action games slash top-down games slash first-person games or whatever uh, we're keeping it pretty broad and vague it's, yeah. it's, the, the main thing that these games have got in common is that they unfold in real time and that they have procedurally generated elements uh, those yeah. are the only two real sort of criteria for what we're going to talk about here isn't it and kind of a sense of loss when you lose yes. like you have to lose yeah. some progress when you die like the, mm -hmm. the idea is like i don't know like all the games i did like you have to beat it in one run like there's yeah. no like yeah. there's no saving level in between levels yeah. okay well where do you want to begin i think uh, i think just to, to kind of start i wanted to have a kind of a brief discussion about kind of what it is that makes these so appealing and addictive and mm -hmm. why i keep buying them even though i'm terrible at them and get excited about <laughs> them even though i never get past the third level in any of them yep, um, same. <laughs> um you know so i think there's a couple to me i've got a couple bullet points listed that, that i think kind of define the appeal of these games uh, and and feel free to interject or, or correct me if if you disagree but i mean first and foremost is i think the challenge um i think inherently um it's rewarding to to feel like you're getting better at, at the game the more you play it and, and yes and, yeah and um 
kind of tied in with that is in, in any of the games that have kind of persistent unlocks or upgrades or weapons, um, especially in like we were talking about with Hades earlier, especially if those upgrades or weapons really radically affect the gameplay itself in terms of like perks and mechanics. Um, yeah. There's a real sense of accomplishment when you pair that with the challenge to strategizing that combination of perks and mechanics um, to, to try to surmount that challenge. Like, so you don't just feel like you're getting better in terms of pure Twitch skill, which is obviously important, but you also feel like you gradually figure out the mechanics better and use them to your to your advantage as you get the different um, bonuses. Um, and I feel that, that there's a real addictive loop to that that's not dissimilar to a gear loop in a game like Diablo. Um, yeah. Yeah. But but the difference is, unlike in a game like Diablo or an MMO where you're really long game building the character, um, that mechanic really is exciting in these action roguelites because that that character's a throwaway character so so the so you just you're experimenting infinitely you're always trying something new always discovering a new combination of stuff and the thrill of that discovery and the genuine curiosity of what will the procedural generation throw me next and how does that influence my builds it's addictive like you want to see it over and over and over again and see how the game can feel different on the next run yeah yeah it's it's a tricky balancing act because the the challenge factor is important but i i also find that if the challenge factor is is too much then i just get switched off very quickly like i i really don't like spelunky for example yeah i, I don't I, like spelunky either because I, I i think that just airs too hard on the side of being difficult um and it doesn't ease you in enough so like you have to spend too long practicing in the boring first couple of levels of Spelunky before you can get anywhere. Whereas some some of my the ones I look at a bit more fondly, you you, you kind of ease into the action a bit more gently, and you feel like you're achieving something each time you play. Whereas in Spelunky, it's very easy to get into a situation where you just die in the first level, and you're like, "Well, that was a waste of time." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't love Spelunky. Um, and I Spelunky lacks a lot of I think the elements that I'm interested in with these kind mm -hmm. of games. Mainly, um, this will surprise no one based on my many discussions before. But like most of the games I think of fondly in this genre, with the exception of one or two, are the ones that have systems of progressive unlocks to, yeah. to make yeah. to make subsequent runs feel different or yeah. easier is the wrong word usually, but. Um, the emphasis on replay isn't just a skill-based emphasis on replay and getting better with your Twitch skill. It also, as I just mentioned, um, expands your tactical options and yeah. makes the design of the game more interesting by changing what you can do and radically altering the way that next run feels. Yeah, uh, Spelunky so doesn't have those elements. It's just yeah. Spelunky is Spelunky, and you either do good or you don't. Yeah, yeah. It's that, that, that sort of gradual broadening of what the game offers over time is is a really a really compelling part of these these games that keeps you coming back because if it's just going to be sort of the same sort of experience every time then there, there is less reason to return to it other other than getting better at the game and trying to get a little bit further and i find if the game is is very punishing up front then i, I don't feel that incentive i don't feel like i want to get better at it um whereas if i'm 
if the game is evolving and changing with each playthrough even if it's only a tiny little bit or making some progress towards something then yeah i'm more invested in playing it over the long term yeah yeah the different games i'll talk about today have those kind of elements in them to to varying degrees of intensity some some Mm -hmm. of the games some of the games it's an integral part of the game some of the games it's a very small part of the game but all but with the exception of the first one i want to talk about pretty much all the games i have listed to discuss today have these kind of progressive unlock elements which i think is a really important part to the 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 reward and the loop uh, and the addiction factor Mm -hmm. that makes this such a popular genre um, so kind of the first game I wanted to talk about, um, and that is pretty much the only game that doesn't have a big progressive unlock feature um, for content, is kind of what I think probably historically is one of the more important games for this genre in terms of recent, like the recent resurgence of it, specifically in the indie sphere, mm-hmm. uh, which is the original Binding of Isaac. I don't think okay. you can really yeah. talk about the action roguelite without talking about Binding of Isaac. Um, 2011, <laughs> 10 whole years ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> create, uh, it was created by uh, Edmund McMillan and Florian Himsel. Uh, I'm probably mangling the pronunciation of that, but uh, mm-hmm. as an Adobe Flash game, um, it would later, in later years, with the help of Nicalis, be reiterated upon and rebuilt as Binding of Isaac Rebirth using a pixel art aesthetic and expanding it with tons of additional content. Um, but the original version was just a really simple Flash game. You had to play it on your keyboard or use like Joy to Key to map a controller if you wanted to play it with a controller. Um, it was a very simple twin stick shooter. Um, but unlike what we normally define as a twin stick shooter, it was not hectic. It had a very deliberate pacing. Um, with the exception of improving yourself through the randomized perks you pick up in the game, your shots are very slow, very deliberate. You move very slowly, and as is typical in most of these games, you're extremely fragile. Every hit really matters. Um, and one of the defining elements of the game was this kind of these these dungeons you would make your way through were structured in a way that was clearly inspired by classic Zelda. So you would move yeah. like room to room with this top-down visuals. Um, but of course, what wasn't clearly inspired by Zelda was the game's iconic, grotesque visuals, mm-hmm. which is poopy and blood and horrifying mutant enemies everywhere. Um, as I mentioned, with the exception of characters you can unlock through doing well in certain situations, there is no real sense of progression to influence the mechanics of each run outside of the characters you can unlock. Um, every run is just kind of uh, from ground one. But... Um, I really feel like in the popular sphere um, and in indie games, Binding of Isaac was pr- one of the first games that really got this style of game broadly recognized and made it something that people really care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always had kind of mixed feelings about this game because, I don't know, I, I, I played it quite a bit and for at least some of that time I played it, I enjoyed it, but... I, th- I think certain aspects of it uh, are kind of leaning towards things that I, I'm not so fond of. Like, I wasn't so fond of the deliberate pace of things. I wasn't so fond of the fact that a lot of things take a lot of shots to kill and so on. Um, but, I mean, that's that's very much a matter of taste of, of what you enjoy and that sort of thing. And I, I'm always kind of of mixed feelings about um, about the visuals as well because they, mm-hmm. they, are, they are gross. And 
Um, I'm, I'm normally, I normally don't have too much of a problem with gray stuff, but there's there's something very, very disturbing about a lot of the stuff in Binding of Isaac. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing, so, so like, it, it needs to be said, like, Binding of Isaac, I'm not really talking about it because I love it. I just mm -hmm. think it's, I just think it's really important uh, yeah, in, yeah, in terms of, like, in terms of, like, why, why, why this is such a prolific subgenre today. Mm -hmm. Why at any given time I have like four of these types of games pre-ordered at any limited press house <laughs> across the land, you know, like yeah. it, it's it. Binding of Isaac is in many ways partially responsible for the resurgence of this type of game in the popular sphere, and why the indie, uh, the indie uh, development scene has really picked up on it. But um, I don't love it. Um, mm -hmm. I certainly care more for Rebirth than the original, yeah. but um, I, I do not love it. At least not nearly as much yeah. as my younger sister does. I think my younger sister's put like thousands of hours into Binding of Isaac. I, yeah, I know people who've got like hundreds and hundreds of hours in this. And I was like, I played it for 10 hours and I had enough. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, there, there is a lot to discover if, if you find that it's a game you want to engage with. And I completely understand how people have, have spent so long with it. But uh, yeah, personally, it wasn't for me. Um, in terms of it being important, um, more than it, even more than it just being responsible for the kind of. Uh, growth in action RPGs. It was part of a, a broader roguelike in general boom that was going on at the time around 2011 or so. Mm -hmm. I, I'm not 100% sure what triggered it in the first place, but around 2011, everyone suddenly discovered roguelikes. And I remember around that time, there was an article on a site, I think it was called GameSet Watch or something. I don't think they exist anymore, but. I remember um, them. Yeah, uh, there was there was an article about what is a roguelike on on Gameset Watch, and that was around the start of the time when everyone started becoming aware of this sort of thing. I think there were write ups on like Rock Paper Shotgun and stuff like that as well. So suddenly everyone was aware of this genre that had actually been around for a very long time, but sort of the mainstream hadn't really engaged with it. Um, but yeah, certainly around 2011, there was a real proliferation of this sort of game. So that was when we started getting stuff like Spelunky. That was when we had stuff like Dungeons of Dreadmore as well, which is a turn-based roguelike, but part of that same boom. And yeah, Binding of Isaac was very much part of that sort of initial flurry of roguelikes. And it's it's one that's managed to remain relevant for a, long, um, a lot longer than many of the other games that were around in that period. There's another yeah, version of it coming out soon. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, it's still a thing. And, like, I think... <laughs> it's kind of interesting because Edmund McMillan has made a bunch of other stuff other than Binding of Isaac, but he's mm -hmm. kind of forced to keep keep coming back to Binding of Isaac just because none of his other stuff ever manages to sort of capture the public imagination in the same way that Binding of Isaac did. So, But, uh, yeah, for sure. Gotta give the people what they want. Gotta make them exactly. dollar bills. <laughs> it's the blessing of the curse you know kojima didn't want to make metal gear anymore <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure all right so i mean we've established that's an important one so so what's what's sort of one that you particularly like that you yeah, want to talk about yeah yeah now we can talk about ones i like um so i think another one of the ones that needs this one is a combo this one is one that has to be talked about because it's important historically but it's also one that has to be talked about because i friggin love it uh mm -hmm. and that's and that's rogue legacy uh yep. cellar door games 2013 um rogue legacy is super important because it kind of innovated my favorite style of this kind of game which is taking it to a side scroller mm -hmm. 
um, which was not really a thing before. Um, you know, in games like Binding of Isaac, the action roguelite elements were still more of like a top-down shooter feel um, yeah. or, or a top-down action RPG feel, which was in keeping with traditional roguelike games. Yes. Um, the turn-based style ones were often uh, were, norm- were top-down grid-based affairs, mm-hmm. even going into the Japanese mystery dungeon take on it. But... Yeah. Um, Rogue Legacy was like, nah, we're going to take random generation, procedural generation, and permadeath, and this kind of cycle of unlocks, and we're going to tie it to an action side-scroller with a great big map, so it feels like Metroid, and we're going to make you get addicted to to a really (laughs) well-balanced side-scroller where you're fragile, uh, and a a solid loop of unlocking things. So... Mm -hmm. Rogue Legacy is a beautiful side-scroller with really character, colorful, character-packed pixel art. Um, the gimmick is that each time you die, um, the, a, the whole new castle is built. And the castle has four different level sections that you have to beat with their own boss. You must beat it all in a single run. Um, but it, build, it rebuilds that map. So it's essentially a... Um, an open structure 2D platformer that's new every time you die. It shuffles the whole build of the castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then each time you die, um, the the caveat is that your hero dies, and then the new character you will play on the next run is one of their descendants. Um, so every time you die, you're given a, uh, a choice of several different descendants. Um, each one of those can belong to different classes and thus have different stats and abilities. But each one also has a different genetic quirk. Um, some of those can affect gameplay in different ways um, and be either a help or a hindrance. Maybe, maybe uh, your character is super smart, so their MP consumption is, is lessened. But some of the perks are not really mechanical, and they're more just, like, funny. Like, you might have a character with irritable bowel syndrome that makes fart noises every time they run. Or you may have a character who's dyslexic, and all the signs appear scrambled when they Mm -hmm. go to read them. Or um, they may even influence the visual presentation of the game. So uh, uh, if you get a character who's colorblind, for that run, the whole game is black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, so those really just keep you coming back to see like how interesting they are, how they can affect the gameplay. Um, and then the next part of the loop is, of course, the gold you earn in each run um, can be used to buy upgrades to the family manor, which then unlocks new features, new classes, st- stat upgrades. Um, so there's always a sense of getting better and getting further in each run because you may have unlocked the new sword, you may have unlocked the uh, ninja class that has a high attack power to really get you through, uh, you know, a couple of highly populated rooms. It's um, it's just a constant sense of one more time, one more time, one more time, yeah. and that's that's yeah. how these games really excel. Do you have much experience with Rogue Legacy? Yeah, I played it a fair bit when it came out. Um, it was it was a very interesting one because it was one of the first games to to do this idea of taking um, elements of roguelikes in their classic form and applying it to a different style of game in fact rogue legacy is the game that coined the term roguelite um in the first place um so yeah this 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 was really interesting to see back when it first came out because it worked really well it was something that could have easily sort of crashed and burned in terms of execution but they handled it really really nicely and they made a really addictive game in the process i was terrible at it i've never finished it but but it was it was enjoyable to play um 
and that was because it was sort of built on solid mechanics and they they sort of didn't overdo um the kind of random elements too much so rather than just sort of randomly scattering tiles around the place to to procedurally generate a level each each castle was sort of built up of kind of rooms that had been pre-crafted as it were yes um, and so that that gave the game a lot more of a feel of being actually properly designed it just happened to sort of put these designed elements in different orders and that that made it feel less like you were running through a random dungeon and more like um you were running through design levels that just happened to be different every time and, and that yeah. worked very well i think and you could learn um you know you there are unlike games that are totally random you could encounter a room and say i i remember how to tackle this room yeah. so like that yeah. that sense that aids your progression like you you reach a point where you've you know how to deal with most of the rooms and it's just the order in which they're thrown at you or the structure in which they're thrown at you is what varies and then um you know like we said it, when these kind of games get really good is when they combine a sense of personal growth and getting better with also the mechanical growth of progressive unlocks and abilities and, yeah. and i i think this game executed that formula perfectly probably because mm -hmm. it was one of the first to do it yeah yeah definitely definitely all right um some early ones that i uh, kind of evolved myself with because uh, sort of around around this roguelike boom i found myself very very interested in this sort of thing it was something i really wanted to engage with i eventually got quite burned out in it and uh, and, and didn't didn't play many games of this sort for a few years but certainly around the time that this started to be a thing i was really interested in what people were doing with this and how people were experimenting with it as well um and um yeah so there's, there's there's been a variety of of different projects over the years that have taken the idea of well okay here are the elements to make a roguelike a roguelike what happens if we if we put this into a different style of game and there have been a few really interesting first person examples over the years oh yeah um, that i found um that i actually first first played back when they were sort of very early access versions um and then over the years they they've been refined and tweaked and so on so there's there's two of these in particular that i want to uh, bring attention to one of them is called delva um delva is probably i don't know if you call it the most traditional approach but it's 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 a a first person fantasy roguelike but it's presented in kind of the style of a game from i guess i guess late 90s you'd say um it's I, sort of the, the the lazy person would describe it as having a minecraft-esque aesthetic but it's not quite the same as minecraft because it's not mm -hmm. all cube based there's like sort of half height blocks and stuff the closest comparison is probably something like ultima underworld in terms of presentation yeah. um so you you can sort of see that the world is built out of blocks and chunks of blocks and so on but it's, it's much more interesting than just being built out of straight cubes so you can have like slopes and stuff and there's water and that and that kind of thing and i i really like delver because it reminds me a lot of ultima underworld um but without sort of the the more complex stuff that ultima underworld did so there's like there's there's no sort of interacting with characters and talking to people when doing quests and that sort of thing you, your sole goal in delver is to get from one level to the next level and progress through the game that way and you grab loot along the way and you get new spells and you level up and that sort of thing um but yeah, I, I first played this back when it was uh, sort of very early access, and it, it took a good few years for it to um, launch its 1.0 version. I actually returned to it for, for the first time in 
probably at least five or six years recently and I had a really good time with it it's a really really fun game um so that's that's one definitely worth looking at it looks like it's it's 1.0 version launched in 2018 um so yeah give that a go uh if this needs to come to console this is really cool yeah it's re- it's really cool it works really nicely it's very nicely presented it's got a real sense of personality and character to it um and it plays like i say really loving homage to late 90s pc games as well as i say in in terms of the way the levels are designed in particular it feels very ultima underworld which is uh not a bad thing at all except you can actually control it unlike ultima underworld <laughs> mm. important um, yeah exactly uh the other one from uh i I believe a similar sort of era to uh delva in the first place is one called eldritch um eldritch i'm familiar with eldritch yeah i haven't played it but i've read plenty about it yeah so eldritch is interesting because um it's uh it's inspired by a couple of specific things it's inspired by uh, lovecraft for one thing so it uses a lot of lovecraftian uh, enemies and fishmen um, fishmen and cultists and uh sort of uh yeah a lot of elements from lovecraftian stories and so on but it's also inspired by uh immersive sims as well which is the the descriptor that people use for games like uh deus ex and that sort of thing where you have an environment um and that environment runs on certain rules and mechanics and so on and you can kind of have an influence on those mechanics and sort of see make things happen in the world that aren't necessarily directly caused by you so eldritch was was very big on that sort of thing so like you could sort of drop objects in places and you can make monsters fight each other and that sort of thing so it was it was an interesting game in that it didn't place a super strong focus on fighting and leveling up your character and getting loot and that sort of thing in a lot of ways it was more survival horrory so you you like have very limited ammunition in your weapons and so on it's often a good idea to sort of avoid monsters rather than taking them on face on um but it works really well and it's got a very very strange kind of aesthetic about it again it's it's adopted this this sort of very low poly low resolution um again you'd, you'd probably look on it as a sort of minecraft inspired thing but it does some really interesting things with that in that it's you look at it for the first time and it looks like it's all built of cubes but if you get up close to a wall you can see that like all the there's no straight lines like all of the walls are like bumpy and wobbling around all over the place and you don't notice that until you're standing up next to one you think well that's not quite right (laughs) (laughs) and it's just really effective because it it sort of really provides that sort of lovecraftian sense of unease about the whole experience while also being oddly oddly light-hearted about it as well it it it, it kind of captures that i can't remember if, if i think we've talked about this before like a lot of horror is as well as being scary it's often absurd and amusing yes. and eldritch, eldritch kind of nails that balance between the two things really nicely uh with its enemies and there's there's like some ridiculous situation you can get into in this one there's one there's one level with um enemies that are <laughs> it, it actually says in the trailer that they're, that they're absolutely not weeping angels but they're basically weeping angels from doctor who in that you turn your back on them and they'll kill you <laughs> so you have these enemies that you have to keep making eye contact with while they're nearby because otherwise they will just devour you um and lots of interesting stuff like that so yeah eldritch eldritch is a really cool one 
Interesting. Yeah, I've always wanted to play it, but I always just felt like I'd be so terrible at it that it's a waste of my money. <laughs> but it looks really good. Yeah, um, and, and, and obviously I love the horror elements. Yeah, in terms of execution, it's 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 not a super difficult one. Um, it's it's actually quite accessible. The mechanics are fairly straightforward, and the combat isn't isn't super challenging. Um, so I mean, just, despite the fact it sounds like that there might be a lot of things to think about there. It's it's actually quite quite an accessible one if if you're not typically good at this sort of thing. Like I can get most of the way through it without too much difficulty, hmm. um, and I'm not typically very good at this sort of game. So, you talking about first person entries in this kind of reminded me. It's not a game I had originally intended to talk about, but um, and it's not quite the same thing you're talking about. Like a lot of these games are more deliberately paced and kind of exploration heavy. But um, mm-hmm. do you ever play Tower of Guns? No, I always wanted to actually, but never, never have. Because that's well, that's this, but as a first, as a hectic '90s style first person shooter. Yeah. So it's like take take like painkiller or like serious Sam or like any of the like you've. There's a ton of enemies, like hectic run around, strafing heavy '90s shooters, and now make it so the levels are procedurally generated and the guns you get. And what they do are also procedurally generated. Oh, that sounds uh, and, cool. And that's Tower of Guns, uh, and it's really fun. Um, and there's a sequel to it too, uh, Mother Gunship, I think it's called. I haven't played Mother Gunship, but I used to play Tower of Guns on Steam quite a bit. Uh, it's mm-hmm. a very, it's a very good example of um, kind of one of the things I didn't mention that makes these games so great. Um, and it's also something I talked about when I was uh, talking about God Eater in the earlier segments is these games also lend themselves really well to a busy life. Like yes. you yes. can you can do one or two runs in 20 minutes, feel like you've enjoyed a video game today and then go to mm-hmm. bed. Yeah. <laughs> they don't yeah. they don't demand your life in terms uh-huh. of time commitment. Yeah. Well, this this was always a subdivision of the of the roguelike genre in general It's called a coffee break roguelike um and it's it's always been a thing since roguelikes have been a thing that you've you've got your big epic experiences like your your morias and your angbans and that sort of thing and then you've got your coffee break roguelikes which are designed for like playing a single sitting um just take you a few minutes you have a deliberately limited number of levels and that sort of thing so yeah and that applying that sort of structure and that sort of philosophy to an action game makes perfect sense yeah it's it's just the right formula but it works really well as a, as a hectic first-person shooter. So I highly recommend Tower of Guns. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sounds good. Um, another fun one from sort of a, a few years back, uh, and one that probably not a lot of people have heard of, um, a game called Starward Rogue is one that I'm quite fond of. Um, this is by a company called Arson Games, uh, who also made A Valley Without Wind, which I think I've talked about on this mm-hmm. podcast before i've certainly talked about it with you off mic before but yeah arson games make weird games <laughs> like they they are a wonderfully creative software company who are not afraid to fail they are not afraid to make games that have weird elements that maybe don't quite work but they give them a go anyway starward rogue is a relatively straightforward experience uh, by comparison to some of their other stuff in that um, it's a top-down action roguelike with some strong uh, influence from shoot-em-ups, particularly bullet hell shoot-em-ups. Um, and so, like, boss fights in Starward Rogue uh, are very much bullet hell boss fights. You have to spot patterns and avoid and uh, avoid these bullet patterns and move between them and find appropriate openings for 
making your attacks but it's also got some really interesting um in run progression systems as well so like you can you get all sorts of different weapons and they behave in different ways and um you have three weapons in starwood rogue you have your basic shot which you can just use whenever uh, you have missiles, which are more powerful and can break through certain objects and certain walls. Um, and you have an energy weapon as well, um, which has all sorts of different effects. So sometimes it can be like a burst of bullets. Other ones, it can be like a, a melee weapon of sorts. Um, and so there's, there's so much variety in this game in terms of how you can play it that it's, it's a real pleasure to play. If you enjoy the sort of fusion of top-down twin-stick shooter with um, roguelike elements, this is a really good one. Um, and it's one that I don't think a lot of people are aware of, but it's it's yeah. one I'm very fond of, certainly. Yeah, I had never heard of it. Mm. Yeah, like, like I say, Arson Games are not a super well-known developer uh, or publisher, but pretty much everything they've put out is worth playing for one reason or another, just because it's so interesting and creative. Often flawed, but that's that's what makes it interesting in a lot of cases and and starward rogue i think is one of their more successful examples of, of of what they've put out over the years sure that's cool yeah i mean i don't love the art style of it but it looks no, like a ton of fun to play like the bullet hellness like wow some of those screens are packed yeah, you, you got to understand, shitty art is is a key part of the arson games experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen Valley. I've I've seen Valley without wind. I know what I'm signing up for. <laughs> but not ev not yeah. everybody is an award winning artist. But <laughs> yeah. All right, what uh, else you got? Oh, I'll ca I'll counter that with a game worked on by an award winning artist. <laughs> uh, Flint Hook <laughs> from Tribute All Games, right, yeah. 2017. Yeah. Um, uh, another one of the um, delightfully gorgeous uh, collaborations between Tribute Games and Paul Robertson. Um, another side-scroller. Um, Flint Hook is unique um, in that it has a cutesy, cartoony space pirate theme to its visuals. Um, yeah. And... Um, you know, one of the things that kind of is going to continue to reveal itself throughout our discussion is um, you know, what's wonderful about enjoying this as a genre is learning and seeing how each developer brings their own mechanical twist and, and their own kind of take to make it spicy and different. And uh, the big thing about Flint Hook is this uh, is the combination of having a, a temporary time slow mechanic mm -hmm. to get control of the action. Uh, and your primary means of movement is a hook shot um, that allows you to zip around the different uh, stages. So in Flint Hook, you can move and run and jump uh, just like any normal side scroller. But all over every level are golden rings that you can fire your hook shot at. Um, and the sense of inertia and weight for the hook shot is extremely satisfying. Like you can mm -hmm. just fling yourself all over the place and, and just make really dazzling displays of, of kind of acrobatics. Um, it pairs really well with the way the game is built, which is, even though it's a, a um, side-scroller, it plays with twin-stink shooter mechanics. So um, you run and jump and move on the left analog, but your right analog is what aims your gun. So you right. can fire in all directions as you jump around. So you can just 
craft these incredible dynamic action scenes where you launch yourself off of one of the hookshot rings, hit slow-mo, and then just like aim downward and like rain death from above on like a group of enemies in slow motion and it's just it's intensely satisfying to like construct these kind of vignettes as you play (laughs) um the game i mean the visuals are charming the character designs are really funny and quirky um that's part of the what's so lovely about it it has this lovely kind of washed out color scheme um that that's really easy on the eyes um and the way the procedural generation works for the levels, which is quite clever, is that um, you are um, pursuing bounties on the heads of the different uh, space pirates. Uh-huh. Um, and so, for each level, it pre- each level you progress through, it presents you with a selection of ships. Like, which bounty do you want to go for? And then it gives you three ships, and it will tell you what's different about each ship. Uh, and then you make that choice. You pick your poison. <laughs> um, so, like, you know, like, this ship has higher gravity. Like, this this ship um, has more rooms and will contain treasure. This ship will have no treasure, but your hits do double damage. Like, and so each ship uh, procedurally generates its layout and has different perks associated with the ship itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're you're dealing with that. Um, once you make your way through a certain number of ships, then you have to fight a boss. Um, then you earn uh, experience with each run, um, and with each with experience, you buy perks, which are these permanently unlockable perks that can influence future runs, um, yeah. which are bought in the form of virtual trading card packs. So you, you it's almost like loot box style. Like you pay the experience to get the virtual trading card pack, and then you see what perks you've unlocked, and then you can. Yep. Then there's a point system where you have like ten points, and then you can equip any combination of perks. Each perk uses up some of those points. So um, you're always experimenting with different builds uh, based on the perks you've unlocked for future runs. Um, the music is incredible. <laughs> you know, it pairs well with the visuals. It's just a, like everything Tribute puts out, it's just a, it's a tight package, and it's really enjoyable to play their take on this style game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I that's thi- good. Yeah, I think it's one that gets missed a lot in the broader conversation of these kind of games, and, and the broader conversation of Tribute's work as a whole. Um, a lot of people always want to talk about... Um, Scott Pilgrim and Mercenary Kings. Um, I don't. I don't ever hear people talk about Flint Hook, and that's a shame because it is a brilliant game, both from a standard of presentation and mechanics. Um, yeah, I, 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 I actually had no idea it was a action roguelike, to be honest. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it is. It's really cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, sort of again talking of. Um, retro inspired stuff i think it's it's worth talking about diabolical mind stuff as well oh yeah let's please um so diabolical mind is a spanish developer um who is is put out a bunch of games for pc um and he often works with a guy called fabrice breton of cowcat games who is um in his own time he also makes adventure games so he's made um uh, a game called brock which is a a fusion of point and click adventure and beat em up which is currently in development and well worth your time um 
but yeah in between sort of working on his own projects he he also helps out uh, diabolical mind with doing console ports of his various games uh, and those console ports tend to have a few enhancements over the original pc release as well so uh, they tend to be the definitive way to experience with them um i've played a couple of these but the the one that's most relevant to what we're talking about today that i have experience with is uh, xenon valkyrie plus um which is now you can get for ps4 and vita and switch now i think as well so this um this is a cool game because it's it, it takes the side-scrolling action roguelike approach but it does things a little bit differently from some other games in that it doesn't take the open structure 2d side-scrolling format instead it's it's very strictly level based um and you have a very clear objective on every level which is simply get from the top to the bottom um so uh, there's a little mini map in the corner of the screen you can see the entire structure of the level right from the start of the level and you know that your goal is to get from the top of the level to the bottom of the level and what you do in between entirely up to you um so but this has got a lot of the the solid elements we're talking about it's got this this sort of solid sense of uh sort of arcadey style gameplay that's satisfying in the moment to moment but it's also got some long-term progression so a bit like what you were talking about with um with flint hook there there's there's an element in this where you can unlock stuff and rather than getting it straight away you simply throw it into the pool for future runs okay uh, yeah that's a very so, common yeah so so you sort of unlock new weapons and things and that that doesn't mean you get them immediately it means that there is a chance of that showing up in a subsequent run so that might be a new weapon or an upgrade or something like that um but yeah this is this is a really solid game that um among other things shows a very good understanding of what is appealing about uh 16-bit games in particular it's got a lovely 16-bit style pixel art aesthetic and it, it feels like a 16-bit game to play as well um it's got lovely use of color as well um very distinctive use of uh heavy emphasis on sort of turquoises and pinks um in its graphics throughout the whole thing which gives it a very very clear visual identity um makes it very very memorable but it's got some lovely pixel art some great bosses some great animation a variety of different characters to play as lots of different weapons to discover um but again each run takes 10 20 minutes um so you can you can sit down and just have a quick coffee break play with it or you can engage with it for a lot longer if you want to sort of try and progress some more unlock some more stuff or heaven forbid try and finish it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean um i have not played xenon valkyrie but um the whole reason i wanted to talk about this topic this time around for this episode was because i've been pretty addicted lately to demons tier plus uh i mean hades as well but also um i, I recently got my copy of demons tier plus for ps4 uh -huh. um and it's basically uh, you know similar but uh, a twin stick shooter um so um demons tier is set in kind of a medieval world and your your dungeon crawling is kind of traditional RPG classes. So there's like a knight, a berserker, an archer, a priest, um, and they each have different stat um, allocations that affect the way they play. Um, um, and I think it's kind of uh, you know my 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 first note on Demon's Tier Plus is it's an excellent it's an exercise in excellence through minimalism. Mm -hmm. um, so Demon's Tier Plus is like really tightly designed. There's not a lot 
of it. It, it you can tell how small Diabolical Mind is when you play it, um, but it's deliberately made to be kind of tiny scale. Um, it's kind of represented by the actual presentation of the game, and that like I think the character sprites are only like eight by eight. They're like yeah. really, yeah. really teeny tiny, um, almost like abstract in presentation, like. Uh, and the enemies are the same, so with the exception of the bosses, which are huge. But um, the game's got a very specific, like, super low-res, like, more high-res than 8-bit, but not quite 16-bit look to it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really kind of charming and interesting, and, and I, find it, I find it kind of fun to, like, parse out what the enemies are kind of supposed to be, based on that exceedingly low-res aesthetic. Like, is that a lizard man? <laughs> like, I don't... <laughs> I, I think it's supposed to be a lizard man. And it gets kind of fun. Um, and it's also kind of a testament to um, Diabolical Mind's kind of skill with this aesthetic to, to use so few pixels for a lot of these character sprites, and to have me be able to tell immediately, like, oh, like that's a berserker with the viking horns on his helmet. And that's a goblin riding a pig, but it's somehow only like ten pixels. Um, yeah. it's it's really quite cool. Um, so there's not a whole heck of a lot to Demons Tier besides exploring the twin stick shooter levels, um, permadeath, start over every time. Um, but you do eventually unlock a blacksmith who allows you to upgrade. Um, you know, you find occasionally bosses will drop weapon blueprints, and you can take those to the blacksmith and and upgrade them with the currency you find in the dungeons. Um, and then the weapons kind of radically either improve or alter the mechanics of the characters and their properties in different ways. So, like you, you know, the the traditional knight you start with, he's got really high defense and really low attack, but you might be able to find a sword blueprint that swaps that. Um, yeah. Allows you, so it allows you to play the knight with. Um, perhaps uh, stats that are a little closer to the archer. Or so, so, so there's a lot of emphasis to keep grinding for those unlocks and altering your stats and experimenting with different builds. Um, the, also, one of the cool things that this game does a little differently that I haven't seen in a game like this much is um, in, in, if you're in the dungeons, you'll occasionally come across like a, uh, a prisoner in the dungeons uh, in a little cage. And if you have a silver key, you can free them. Yeah. And then, and then the they come with you. Um, they they and they become um, like options, like in a shoot 'em up. So it, okay. So yeah. like du- it like doubles your firepower. Awesome. So like if you rescue like two or three hostages, you're like you're, all of a sudden you're throwing out like four streams of bullets, and, to- <laughs> and 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 you and you start feeling quite powerful, which is really fun. But there's a given and dangerous. T- <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's there's a give and take because, um, you know, you can do that, but to open the the pr- to free the prisoners, you need a silver key. Silver keys do not drop in dungeons terribly often. Um, you can buy them in the town with the same currency you buy your upgrades with. So there's a there's a give and take there. Like you can aggressively pursue character and weapon unlocks, but you also need the currency to a by potions, B, by silver keys to make yourself more powerful when you find prisoners, and C, by the escape ropes you need to exit the dungeon without dropping your currency. Oh, Because no. it has a Dark Souls-style mechanic where if you die in dungeon, you drop the currency, and then you have to go back and find your, your tombstone to get that currency back. Uh, but if you die chasing the tombstone, it all goes away. Oh no! <laughs> so you're you're constantly playing that risk reward mechanic, 
Um, but you've got to be able to afford the the escape ropes in order to really yes. to make any money. So oh, sounds cool. I'm looking forward to trying that one. I've got it on order from uh, Play Asia, but it hasn't arrived yet. So yeah. looking forward to giving that a go when it does show up. Yeah, it's it's quite good, and um, the minimalism of it also translates to the time of it. Like it's designed to be a tiny game, yeah. so like you can do like three or four runs in like twenty minutes. Like yeah. it, it it kills you pretty fast. Um, if you're not paying attention and you can make some pretty good progress pretty pretty fast too it's it's mm-hmm. it's just a zippy tight little package that's a lot of fun to play um with some fun character designs and it even has a little bit of a story too which was a surprise cool yeah so i'm, I'm quite fond of demons tear and um it's it's made me retroactively try to hunt down copies of xenon valkyrie because i'm really excited to see um, the same developers take on this formula with the side scroller play. Yeah, yeah, Xenovarkory is really is really good fun. It, it sounds also like it's it's quite different from Demon's Tear as well, so it should be an interesting contrast as well. Yeah, that's what I'm hoping for. Cool. All right. Um, so probably the most recent addition to my list for this is is one that I'm I've been quite excited to talk about, which is Streets of Rogue. Mm. Uh, which I'd been aware of for quite a while, um, but I'd never got around to playing it. I'd been holding out for like a, a, a limited run release or something, but that has not happened yet. I'd be surprised if it doesn't, to be honest, at some point, but uh, for whatever reason, it hasn't happened yet. So Streets of Rogue is a um, it's an action roguelike uh, that, again, uh, like Eldritch, takes ideas from the concept of immersive sims. Um, and so Streets of Rogue's whole uh, unique selling point is that um, instead of crawling dungeons, you are uh, exploring procedurally generated cities. And they are split into multiple levels, so you've still got the standard sort of progress from one level to another. Um, but each, each, So each level is like a district of a city, so there's buildings there, there's people hanging out, there's different types of people hanging out in different parts of the city. Um, and the the whole thing is governed by uh, a set of rules that you can learn so so there's like certain groups hate other groups so if they come into contact with each other they will fight um there and that extends to your player character as well so if you are playing a certain type of character and you come across this sort of their big rival they will attack you on site and that sort of thing um but then there's also a lot of different ways to play this as well there's a lot of characters unlocked to start with and even more to unlock as you play through the game um and they're all designed to play very differently from one another so for example if you want like a fairly straightforward action roguelike game where you shoot a lot of things you play the soldier character who starts with a machine gun and uh, some armor and that sort of thing uh, but then you can play as the doctor who is not allowed to use most of the weapons but anyone he sneaks up behind you can chloroform them and knock them out and that sort of thing and um he can he can heal things and uh, that kind of thing or you can play a vampire so you can restore your health by sneaking up on people and biting them or you can be a ghost or you can be a zombie or you can be a cannibal or you can be a gorilla and it's it's just so much fun because it's it, it, it because of all these systems that are interlocking with one another it's it's one of those games that's just fun to play with just to see what happens sure um and it's 
it's just designed for ridiculous things to happen sort of seemingly at random so like there's like there's some very strong variants on the damage calculations obviously as well so like sometimes you will punch someone and it will smash them out through the wall of their house and it's just the most hilarious and satisfying <laughs> thing um <laughs> um but in keeping with sort of the inspiration from immersive sims and that sort of thing th there are a lot of different ways to approach different situations as well so you can do things like if you if you need to sneak in somewhere you can uh you can go through the front door you can knock on the door wait for someone to answer and then punch them in the face or you can break a window and crawl through the window or you can uh drop something into the air vents and sort of gas them out of the building and then sneak in while they're all outside so it's it's a it's a really really clever game that's got lots and lots of variation to it and it it never feels like you're just sort of it never feels like you're just sort of running the same dungeons over and over again everything every time you play streets of rogue it's a bit different because it's also not it's also structured in a way where it encourages you to do different things as well so in order to clear a level in streets of rogue you not only have to get from the start point to the end point you also have to complete a couple of missions along the way as well okay and those missions are normally sort of fairly simple so it's like get this item or uh kill this guy or um press all these buttons or something like that but the different contexts in which those situations arise mean that you can often approach them in different ways like if you need to get an item off someone you can kill them or you can steal it from them as a pickpocket or you can uh bribe them to get it off them and this it's just a, a really interesting approach to this sort of game that adds a lot more depth but also just allows you to absolutely go crazy and enjoy yourself and have a, a thoroughly silly time with it if you want to as well so it's it, it's not a game that expects you to play in any one particular way and it encourages you to experiment and play with it like right from the moment you start the game it has a bunch of possible mutators that you can apply to the experience so you can do things like you can say right i want to play this game with infinite ammunition so that means that the whole thing then plays a, like a conventional twin stick shooter and you don't have to worry about ammunition or you can have one where uh, all the npcs have much higher health so getting into a fight is a real problem in that one because they are as strong as you rather than being significantly weaker sure um or you can mix all those together as well so you can have infinite ammo and super strong enemies and um sort of corpses that explode when you kill them and that sort of thing and and there's no penalty for applying any of these mutators on there you can finish the game with any combination of these in play at once oh so, so it's just you, pure fun yeah, yeah exactly so if, you, so, so if you just enjoy playing the game in a particular way it, it doesn't punish you for playing it in that way it doesn't consider you to be cheating or not playing it the proper way or anything like that I if you that. like playing it in a particular way you, you just play it that way it's great it's also got multiplayer which i can imagine would be spectacularly chaotic uh, but i haven't had the opportunity to try that yet i'm i'm looking forward to, to hopefully trying it with some friends quite soon but uh, yeah, yeah you can I play mean, up to four four players with it which i can just imagine being delightful chaos <laughs> yeah i mean when you first started t talking to me about this game like all i could envision was how much fun we could have playing it like multiplayer on the switch together mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's it, it's such a good time and yeah, like I say, I'd been aware of it for a while, and I, th I sort of thought, "Oh, that looks cool." But when I started playing it for the first time, I was, "Ah, this is much cooler than I ever thought it was going to be." <laughs> no, I'm really glad. I'm really glad you've kind of discovered it because I had never even heard of it before. But I'm super mm -hmm. intrigued by it. Um, you know, any game 
any game where I can play with the mechanics and like radically affect the world in different ways like that is yeah super super intriguing to me yeah yeah and and ju- just just the way the game is designed encourages you to do that like so like unlocking all the different characters is generally dependent on you doing something interesting with the mechanics like there there's a comedian class you can unlock and the way you unlock that is by killing someone with a banana skin (laughs) (laughs) and then like the comedian's main quest on each level is to is to sort of tell as many jokes as possible and make people laugh rather than killing stuff so (laughs) that's incredible it's just crazy it's crazy yeah Oh, and there's there's a shapeshifter character who is incredibly fun. He's like this tiny little naked dude who just runs around. He, he gets attacked on sight if he goes into shops, but if you can sneak up behind someone, he can possess them. Okay. And so what so what you can do is you can possess someone, go and punch someone else in the face, and then hop out of his body and just watch the chaos unfold. It's brilliant. <laughs> it sounds amazing. I, I really do want to get my hands on this. I can't yes. imagine there won't be a physical release. I've yeah. read so much online about how popular and like how much the community respects it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm surprised it hasn't happened by now, but uh, I'm sure it will at some point because it's 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 that kind of game that you play and you think, yeah, this is going to get a, a proper release at some point for sure. But it also seems like one of those games that gets updated constantly with like new content and tweaks. So maybe they're just going to wait until they, they feel satisfied that it's complete. And then... I, th- I think we might be at that point now because they, they released a DLC pack with a bunch of extra characters for it as well. Uh-huh. Um, but there don't seem to have been like any huge updates for it since then. Uh, it might have been sort of like some balance tweaks and so on. So, so hopefully that means that there'll be there'll be something to to report on that soon but uh yeah no i i i know what you mean i know what you mean but uh fingers crossed fingers Mm. crossed yeah yeah all Uh, right any more any more you want to talk about yeah i had a couple more um as time goes on though they just become ones that i think are interesting but i'm progressively worse at (laughs) (laughs) Like I wanted to, I wanted to give a shout out to Dungreed, which is a recent acquisition I made. Um, yep. te- uh, Team Hooray developed it to 2018. Um, it's also another side scroller style one with kind of charming minimalist pixel art. Um, but it's really hard. It's really fast paced, um, and it's um, it's a all m- much like Flint Hook was. It's got a side is a side scroller, but with the twin stick shooter elements. So you aim your you don't just aim your shots, but you also when you have a uh, when you have a uh, bow or, or gun or whatever, you also aim your sword slashes too. So you always yeah. have to be facing your um, your weapon in the direction you're moving or the direction you want to attack. Um, so it's. Uh, it's got a lot of bullet hell elements in the side scroller, um, so it's it's quite hard. Like I beat the first boss once, um, <laughs> but it it has that level of charm that I want to keep playing it. You know, so it's 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 very cool. Um, you as you play, you you rescue townspeople to basically. You, there's a, the hub is a town that you rebuild as you as you unlock townspeople so the more townspeople you rescue the more capabilities the town has so if you rescue the blacksmith then you can start uh crafting new weapons to appear in future runs and stuff like that so it's uh it's got a great uh 
you know, emphasis on playing and over and over again to try to improve that hub world to make your subsequent runs easier. But man, oh man, is that barrier of entry tough. Um, yeah. But I do like it. I think it's really cute, and, and the pixel art's just out of control. Um, I also wanted to give a shout-out to um, the games by Flying Oak Games, um, Neurovoider, and more recently Scourgebringer. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Neurovoider is really cool. It's a twin-stick-style, um, sh- twin-stick-shooter-style roguelite. Um where you play as kind of this, uh, like a brain encased in like this robot drone. So the big thing about Neurovoider is that you are uh, upgrading and customizing this robot throughout your run. It almost feels like an arcadey roguelite version of Armored Core. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you can you start the game, you choose from one of three classes. There's like a speedy class that kind of has a focus on melee, kind of a standard balance class, which is kind of like a gunner, and then like a tank class who, who like wields heavy weapons and can take like a, take a lot more hits, um, but moves very slowly. Um, and then as you play the game, you um, the enemies drop parts. Um, you can equip two guns at once, uh, a body, chassis, and uh, different leg parts. And I say leg, but there's like all kinds of different methods of locomotion. Like you get like hover parts, you can get like four leg spider legs, like you get wheels. There's like all kinds of, with different benefits and costs associated. Um, so in between each floor, there's a, there's a, like a garage screen where you can cash, you can sell the stuff you don't want for currency, uh, and then, invest that currency in either leveling up the stuff you like that you've equipped, or perhaps you want to go ditch something that you've got equipped because you just found something better. Um, Items drop with kind of um, standard color-coded rarity, just like in something like Diablo. Um, So you always want to keep an eye out for like big boss enemies that are going to drop the higher tier weapons uh, to really improve yourself better. Um, You can can also invest your... um, you can also invest your currency in like a, a shop that'll randomly generate a weapon for you if you want to roll the dice on that. Um, there is no um, progressive unlocks in Neurovoider. Just kind of each run is its own contained thing. Um, but it's it's a lot of fun. And it has a really cool um, neon-infused color palette um, yeah. that, that's kind of making making the popular rounds today and like the, that like retro 80s synthwave scene but it just makes sense with the robots like all the purples and like neon greens um yeah i'm i'm quite fond of it uh, i got it on the vita it was one of the last games i got on the vita so i like to it's kind of a i need a break for 10 minutes during work kind of game that kind of mm-hmm. like a pal like a palette cleanser i really enjoy it yeah um and then the most recent game by that same studio and the last game i kind of wanted to talk about today is uh, scourgebringer which, um, like Neurovoider, it's extremely visually distinct. I think that's something Flying Oak really goes for. But um, it's kind of visually distinct in the opposite sense of Neurovoider. Um, it's a very desaturated color palette with kind of more washed out colors. Um, the pixel art is kind of low detail with like no outlines, but it's extremely high res. So it's okay. um, it's, it's an interesting combination of like low detail stylization, but because there's a lot of pixels in the characters, deceptively the animation 
animation's quite beautiful. Um, you know, like your main character has this huge head of white hair that just kind of like flows and moves about uh, with you, yeah. and, and, it, and it's very uh, uh, distinctive. And there's a lot of sharp geometric shapes and angles in the stages. Like it's very otherworldly looking. There's like a lot of emphasis on like diamonds instead of squares, right? Like things turned vertically. Um, Gameplay-wise, it's a side-scroller, but it's really unique. Um, kind of like I was mentioning with Flint Hook, like the big uh, gimmick in Scourgebringer is the dash mechanic. Um, so the game is kind of what I would describe as kind of dedicated to the joy of movement. Um, so you can run, you can jump, you can double jump, you can wall run, and you can dash. Um, you can't dash twice in a row, but you can dash, jump, then dash again. So it's like understanding the limitations of these movements and so that you can zip around the stages properly. Um, you know, so you get a, you have a, you have a standard combo attack and then you have a smash attack. The smash attack deflects bullets, um, and it also knocks enemies away, and then it can do damage if you knock them away and they hit a wall. So it's learning, you kind of enter a room, and then you have to quickly assess what you're gonna do. You have to like plan your action out when you see the placement of the enemies in a way. Um, knowing like who's vulnerable to a smash, who's not, then you immediately just launch in there with a dash, smash one guy, then dash again, hit him against the wall, combo him till he's dead, dash to the next guy. And if you do it right and you weave your combo right, the way you're the way you're doing the smash attacks will also kind of with proper timing deflect the bullets that are coming at you when the enemies fire them and you just weave this like ballet of like visceral destruction it's it's <laughs> it's pretty amazing in, in a lot of ways it feels like a 2d pixel art devil may cry um oh, cool. to the point where um one of the progressive things you can unlock is a devil may cry style style combo meter that um rates you based on how well you vary your attacks um and then by doing that, it builds a multiplier that increases the currency you use to unlock perks within each run. So the better you perform, the more things you will unlock and the more perks you can get, thereby even greater increasing your chances of victory. Um, bosses drop a different currency that you keep when you die, and then there's a skill tree. Um, so you unlock different perks and upgrades to the skill tree that are permanent. Um, but you can also, if you like and you want to challenge yourself, you can toggle those on and off, which, okay. is, which is really nice. Um, so if you, you know, if you bought the HP upgrade, but you want to, but you hate yourself and you want to remember what it was like before you had the <laughs> HP upgrade, you can toggle the HP upgrade off, you monster. Um... The game claims to have an adaptive difficulty, quote-unquote. Like, it tells you this when you fire it up. Um, you can toggle that on and off. Um, I have left it on. I have I have experienced no easing of the difficulty. <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm just that terrible at it, but um, I did get to the second level once and then immediately died on the first room of the second level. Um, and then turned the game off and played something else um but it is um it is lovely it's visually stunning um the sense of movement and the emphasis on the dash and smash dichotomy really makes you feel 
simultaneously extremely powerful which is a great combat uh, contrasted with the extreme fragility of your character yeah. Um, so it's a really it's a really invigorating game to play because like you really get rolling with your combo and you feel absolutely invincible and then you get hit once and you are reminded that you are in fact not. Um, <laughs> and it, it's yeah. it's just it's a thrill to play even though I'm quite awful at it. Uh, <laughs> and, and between the visual style, the, the the joy of the movement and the combos, I just, I just can't recommend this game enough. Mm -hmm. Cool, sounds great. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, last one I want to talk about today. I'm not 100% sure if I describe this as an action roguelike, but it's certainly got elements of what we've been talking about. Um, and that is Deep Rock Galactic. Oh, yeah. Uh, which which is uh, a game that uh, my local friends and I decided to start playing recently. Uh, it's a game where you play a uh, future space dwarf miner who is going down to this um, this network of caves beneath this planet to mine minerals and find various things and that sort of thing. And uh, the whole thing is each mission you do uh, is designed to be sort of between about 20 and 40 minutes uh, in length. Um, there's several different mission types you can do. Each time you play, it's a completely procedurally generated cave that you go through in one of several different environments. Um, and it's built for co-op as well. So it's a, a one-to-four-player co-op game. You can play by yourself, uh, and there's a very capable um, AI robot partner that you can play by yourself with if you want to as well. Um, but the game sort of really shines at its best when you've got uh, one person from each of the four character classes on offer because they've each got their own unique loadout of weapons and capabilities and that sort of thing. So, uh, for example, you've got an engineer who can build turrets. Um, you've got a driller who has got a big drill, obviously. Um, you've got a, a gunner who's got a big chain gun. You've got a scout who's the most mobile and can sort of grappling hook his way around the caves and that sort of thing. Um and yeah, it's it's uh, another good example of a, a game where the the base mechanics are relatively straightforward, um, but the sort of inherent variety brought about by the procedurally generated caves and the different mission types you get into it, it means that th this is a game you you could you could play off and on for a very long time indeed because sure. there's a lot of variety to it. Um, and there's that sense of ongoing progression like we talked about as well so as you as you progress through the game um, you acquire various materials and uh, currency which you can use to upgrade your various weapons um, you can unlock additional weapons for each class by fulfilling certain strings of missions and that sort of thing so there's there's a lot to discover and a lot to unlock over the long term but it's also something that you can just get together with a few friends on a on a friday night and and play for half an hour and feel like you've had a good time because it's it's just the 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 core gameplay experience is satisfying but then it's got a really strong meta game on top of that as well to keep it interesting in the long term as well so yeah it's 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 a really good one it's been around for i think a couple of years at this point it was early access to begin with but they it's been in its full release for quite a while now it just seems to have sort of gained in popularity a bit just recently for some reason there was probably an article somewhere or i don't know a youtuber probably did a video about it or something but um yeah so like they're on their 34th major update for it now um, wow. constantly adding new bits and pieces and things to it so 
yeah it's, it's a really good time um i i wasn't expecting to like it as much as i do when i first started playing it but yeah it's it's something i really look forward to playing with my friends on a regular basis now and it incorporates a lot of the elements that we've been talking about there while also providing an experience that's a little bit different as well so that's the key yeah you know how can it be different i've always heard good stuff about this game like this game has a very good reputation i was i was excited to see you were playing it i've never played it myself but i was really curious to hear more about it because it does have a great reputation are you guys playing it on steam yeah 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 so i i think this you can get it on steam i think it's on xbox game pass as well but the two versions aren't compatible with each other unfortunately oh, so, that's a bummer. so if you get it on game pass you can't play with steam people and vice versa which is a bit of a shame uh i don't believe there's a console version either um which is a shame but uh yeah the the the, the pc version is goes on offer quite frequently it's not at the time of recording but it does go on offer quite frequently i think i got it for like a tenner or something like that a while back so yeah, well worth it. Even if you're just going to play it by yourself, it's it's an enjoyable single player game. Um, if you haven't got anyone to play with, or it's not convenient to play with people, but as I say, it really shines in four player co-op if you have the opportunity to do that. Yeah, it sounds like it. Whenever classes are in the mix, whenever character classes are in the mix, yeah, yeah, I get for sure. Very cool. Very cool. All right, so that is everything I want to talk about. Have you covered everything as well? Uh, I thought I might mention Dead Cells a little bit. Uh, okay, yeah. Not, I don't want to pay too much lip service to it because it's extremely popular. Like everyone, yeah. I think everyone knows a lot about Dead Cells at this point. But there's certain things that Dead Cells does extremely well that I think bear mentioning. Um, Dead Cells is another side scroller, but the focus is mainly on um, really fast-paced melee action combat with a with yeah. a good dodge roll. Um, and, oh, speaking of dodge roll, I didn't talk about Gungeon either. Uh, <laughs> just, just infinite games, infinite games in this genre. But, um, Dead Cells, what it does really well is the way your character develops in each run, um, which I thought was a really unique uh, aspect of it. Um, you develop your character with points in one of three different, uh, disciplines so you either level up your brutality tactics or survival um, and what's cool about that is every time you level up one of those um, stats you get a bonus to your health but with diminishing returns so if you keep leveling up brutality you get less and less health every time you level up that that single stat um, so it does encourage you to diversify a little bit um, but the thing is every weapon you get is color-coded to scale with one or two of those combined stats. So if you right. really enjoy playing with the melee weapons, um, investing a ton of points in brutality is the way to go because every you know most of the melee weapons will scale with brutality. If you're like me, I enjoy playing with the traps. So you can get different turrets and traps, or you can like lay down a circular saw on the floor, or lay down a motion sensing uh, crossbow turret, and um, those scale with tactics. So I play really tactics heavy. Um, so it's kind of what we were talking about with some of the other games that have different classes. But in this game, you start off as a totally blank slate, and then you make decisions about how that character grows and progresses throughout each run. Um, so you know the different weapons you get will become effective in different ways based on the stats you've chosen. And then you can also choose mutations, they call them, in between each level that may also alter those in interesting ways or grant new abilities. Um, so there's just a 
ton of fun between the weapons, the stats, and the mutations to experiment with character builds with every run. Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get far in one run versus another, but it's amazing how the game can feel like a completely different game every time you play if you're yeah. if you're shrewd about how you spend those points and what you do. Um, it's it's just really amazing the the sheer variety that you can build your character with. Um, in terms of progressive unlocks, um, you can you can invest points in unlocking weapons that will appear in future runs, um, some of which radically change things. Um, weapons, um, much like the weapons I was talking about, Neurovoider or have a, have color coded rarity uh, and stat bonuses. So it's like you can get a crossbow that also inflicts bleed, and then a dagger that also inflicts poison, so then you're dealing a ton of, like, passive damage over time. Like, all kinds of cool, like, ways you can stack different effects. Um, it's just endless, endlessly fascinating to play. Um, it also has a really cool and distinct visual style, um, which I think is worth mentioning. It's kind of yep. like low-res pixel art that's been mapped to 3D models. Um, so yep. it's, it's not pixel art in the purest sense, but it harkens back to a low-res pixel art aesthetic. But what it does that uh, you know traditional sprites can't move with the speed and fluidity that these 3D models move with. So it, it's just very visually distinct, um, but it plays buttery smooth, which is really necessary because of how demanding the combat is. Um, yeah, I just I have a ton of fun with Dead Cells. It's a it's a game I often get out when friends come over, um, and we just have a great time with like taking turns, doing runs. Cool, great stuff. All right, I think I'm done. I'm getting a bit of a sore throat now. <laughs> yeah, I, say, I need I need to be done because I could talk about I could talk about like Enter the Gungeon for another twenty minutes, but I I, yes, I, I won't sure. because everyone knows that game is good, right? Like that's I was going to say, we like like with with Hades, we can sort of justify that. Say everyone everyone knows that game is good. Um, so yeah, there we go. It was entirely deliberate that we didn't talk about that. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. As usual, would you like to tell people where to find your stuff online? Sure. You can always find my artwork at ccaskyart.com or on DeviantArt under the uh, screen name Mr. Gilder picks uh, Mr. Gilder M R G I L D E R. Um, that's probably where I post the most stuff. Since for some reason the hosting site I'm using right now doesn't like my high res images, I got to figure it out. But uh, yeah, always working on something new. I'm currently working on a series of uh, wooden sprites based on monsters from the Genesis Wonder Boy and Monster World, and they're turning out really lovely, so I'm excited to share more of those. Cool. Yeah, looking forward to seeing those. And uh, you can find me working the day job at ricedigital.co.uk. Uh, that's where most of my writing throughout the day is at the moment. Uh, and weekly, you'll find the Italian mega feature continuing on mywaygamer.net. And you'll find the three Atari A to Z series continuing on my YouTube channel, which is youtube.com forward slash Pete Davison. So it just remains for us to say, as always, thank you very much for watching and or listening. And we'll see you again next time. <laughs>